some moving trucks across the street. My neighbor uh, must be moving out. I heard that uh, this this neighbor of mine. I never actually talked to him. Um, there's these people, right? They they drive around uh, all the neighborhoods where the the real estate is is has been on on an upswing, and uh, my my area, the, you know, the real estate values have definitely uh, been going up. And they drive around looking for houses that look a bit disheveled, right? Houses that seem a bit uh, beat up, and whoever whoever owns the house is, hasn't really been maintaining it. And then they go up to the door and they're like, "Hey, we'll buy your house for cash. What do you think?" And uh, yeah, apparently it works. And my uh, my in-laws on the next town over, they their neighbor, the house was really quite uh, disheveled, uh, wasn't really being maintained. And yeah, they they took the offer and they moved out. They're gone. In fact, in that case, um, you know, they were in, in both cases. It seemed like there was just a bunch of junk in the house, and they were just uh, kind of like uh, you know hired one of those junk junk removal services, had this big dump truck and uh, filled with garbage. And apparently, they didn't put the safety brake on right because my in-laws live on a hill, and the truck kind of uh, sort of rolling backwards into my my father-in-law's truck, <laughs> his car. Sorry, the truck hit the car. And uh, but it wasn't totaled, so he had to get it fixed and stuff. Yeah, they're doing it, man. They're moving over there. Look at that. In the in the process of moving. Um, yeah. So apparently, I I, do, I really didn't know those neighbors at all. My in laws' neighbors, but they um, yeah, they must they took it, and apparently they just left all their stuff there, or they left most of their stuff there. I guess what they tell they tell you, listen, <coughs> you know, we'll buy your house, and you can even leave as much crap there as you want. See, people are so desperate for houses around here. I mean, <laughs> I think it's cooled down a bit, but this is a very hot housing market because this is where I live here in northern New Jersey. This is one of sort of like, uh, you know, an area where people who were sort of in New York City living in a little apartment during the pandemic, they wanted to get out and just get a house out in the uh, suburbs a bit. And uh, so this neighborhood, my area is kind of like, you know, it's a nice area, decent houses, you know. And uh, so this was like a hot market. I think everything's kind of cooled down a bit at this point, but um, yeah. So the guy across the street, I guess the house is a bit messed up, and yeah, again, I never really talked to him. There he is over there, actually. <coughs> kind of a strange fellow. I feel bad I never really talked to him, but because now I don't have to worry about it anymore. He's moving. Well, he never came over and said hello to me either. I mean, what do you want? A few times I waved at him. He's over at like his. It's really quite close on my porch. I can see his his whole house and his his porch area from where I'm sitting right here. Anyway, yeah, moving, moving on to somewhere else. Who knows? Well, I moved three years ago here. I didn't have to hire a truck though, because it was really. I mean, it was literally like a three minute drive, and uh, so I just brought everything over in the car. <laughs> of uh, no, well, I mean, I think like the big stuff. How do we bring the big stuff over? <coughs> trying to remember. I think our handyman had a truck, and we brought some stuff over. Or did we? Wait a minute. Why can't I remember how we got the big stuff over here? I think we did hire movers for the big stuff. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We did hire. Yes. But all the little stuff I had to bring over in like a hundred trips. It's a lot of stuff. 
Well, again, we were living in a small, a two-bedroom apartment. How much stuff could there have been? There was a lot of stuff, and plus I had stuff in storage. Did I still have storage back then? Maybe I did, actually. Listen, this is only three years ago. I can't remember. Look, they're going. They're gone. The, the, the truck is gone. They're on their way. Wow. Top-notch movers. They're, they're, the, they're the top notch of the moving industry. Yes. Is that it? Is he, is he gone? Is, 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 did he move out? Did, did, we just, did he just move out live on the show here? Wow. That is wild. I don't know. Well, again, my house was bought by a flipper, but it wasn't like a disheveled house as far as I know. It was uh, The flipper bought it and uh, did some work, but not enough work. And then we had to do a lot more work. So, yeah. Anyway, we're all moved in, so everything's good. <laughs> Plus, I have a garage that I can use. We don't put a car in the garage. I put all my junk in there that I used to put in storage. It's great. Plus, we have an attic to put stuff in, too. All this stuff. Yeah. It's weird. I've known so many people, like especially my my wife's, you know, a family and in her her, her in laws and stuff and her cousins. You know, they sort of they retire and then they have to move out of New Jersey. It's too expensive to live here on a fixed income. Or if you have a fixed income, you can sort of uh, you could live here potentially as as a very meager, sparse existence. Or if you move, you know, places they've moved like Delaware, South Carolina, those kind of places. Well, the cost of living is so much cheaper, and you know you're on a fixed income, and you can live much better getting out of here. It's kind of sad. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to leave Jersey. I love New Jersey, but uh, you know it's very sad. People have to move out, and you know once you're so far away, like it's hard to you lose connection with the people around you. You know, that's how what happens. Oh, but wait, there is a U-Haul across the street. That may also be related to the move. You think? What is that? The U-Haul. All the U-Hauls have those. Uh, it's almost like trading cards. They're like trading U-Haul vans. There's like these. Uh, this artwork from all the different states. I can't really tell what that one says though. Some sort of flower or something. Like a white flower. White Lily. Remember there's a Laurie Anderson song called White Lily? No. Not one of her better songs. but It was okay. What do you want? Anyway. Yeah, this is uh, still the very first few days of 2023. Well, what t what day is it today? Is it already? It's the fifth. Wow, the fifth day of 2023. Wow, time flies. Yeah, this year definitely is feeling weird. I mean, I always, I mean, I think everything feels weird, but there's something especially feeling different about 2023. I can't really put my finger on it. It just, it's sort of like. <laughs> I want to try to describe this observation I had, which is that, um, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you just start going through the day, it's sort of like, I don't even know how to put this into words, or at any moment in the day, right, even like right now, um, I feel like, what the hell? Some dude is doing push-ups across the street on the sidewalk. What? Why? Oh, well, that was weird. See, things are very weird. Um, uh, that's almost like something you'd see in a movie. Some young guy doing push-ups on, on the sidewalk for some reason. Anyway. 
um, at I'll, I'll, I'll just try. So at any moment, your will to of like what to do, like what should I do? Like right now, I'm sitting on the porch and I'm recording my show, and then afterwards, I'm gonna go inside and have some food or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like you're you partially have a willpower to do the stuff like you th- you need to do or you should do, right? And then partially you're depending on the world itself, the reality you're living in to kind of like give you stuff, right? It's like this weird – I don't even know how to put it. It's like this weird dance between your mind and your will and then the world itself. It's like you sort of depend on the world itself to, co- to kind of – I feel like it's almost like the world itself just does 99% of the work of making stuff happen and making you do things, but then there's a bit of choice and a bit of will on your part. You you know what I'm saying? So it's sort of like that you sort of feel at some level the nature of that underpinning, the world that is part of the process of you living and doing things, but you can feel when it feels a little bit different, right? And it has felt a little bit different ever since the dawning of 2023. I don't even know, like, what would you call that phenomenon, you know? Because it almost does sort of seem like uh, like you're always so worried about everything. Oh, did I, did I get something in the mail I needed to respond to? Or what, what, did, they, what did I say I was going to do for those people the other day? Or, like, all these things on your mental to-do list, you just sort of muddle through. It feels like you're missing everything. But in the end, everything kind of works out. Everything is kind of, like, okay. You see what I'm saying? Like if it was if it was just your willpower and that you had to really manage all these things yourself, it feels like you'd <clears throat> if these things were important in the least and you didn't do them, right, there would be repercussions for not doing them. Again, I know this is very, very vague. What the hell? <laughs> More moving trucks? Oh, that's a pickup truck. <laughs> Are they moving wait, there's a lot of moving going on over here. What the hell. I wonder how much that house is gonna cost when they put it on the market. They flip it. I don't know. I just hit pause. I'm trying to describe this phenomenon. I I, I wrote reality underpinnings of daily activities. It's very hard. It's a very hard thing to put into words, but, right? Moment to moment, how do you, like, you don't have to just completely, like, I guess if you as a person just don't do anything, the world continues on around you, right? Right? And then certain urges inspire you to action, such as the urge to eat, drink, breathe air, and, uh, you know, all these other urges that you have um, push you to kind of do something. And then all the other urges you need to, you need, in this particular society and planet we're living on, you have to pay to live, so you need to make money in order to fund your life. Otherwise, you'll become homeless and destitute and all these other things in this society we're living in but um so you need to like have a job to make money to buy the food you need to eat etc but beyond that <laughs> just like the, the day-to-day minutia it's just it's like this weird dance you have between your mind and then the world around you but i'm just saying that feels a little bit different <clears throat> so what could it mean what is this 2023 situation? I mean, in general, 
it feels like this world we're living in, things are not right. Like things are out of balance. Things are, it's not an ideal setup, right? There's compromises going on here, but it's being maintained in this disadvantageous state because there's, in theory, though it's off kilter, right? There's aspects of it that are being preserved because they're important even though the whole thing is kind of off balance, right? And one of my working theories, of course, is that however this world came to be, it's messed up in such a unique way that um, the things that happen here, the situations, the life experiences you can have are very unique. Perhaps unique in all of the multi-cosmos, whatever that may be and uh, it's, it just feel like something that is being artificially preserved for a purpose but it's getting like worse and worse it's getting more and more um, off, off balanced right just as a general observation so maybe what ha- what I'm this 2023 thing is that there's been a slight shift in strategies of ways of uh, preserving this the scenario without having to like reset it or reboot it. You see what I'm saying? No, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying. It's very it's a, it's a very vague morning here on, on on a Thursday morning. Okay, it's a vague Thursday. Most Thursdays are somewhat vague. This one is a bit more vague than usual. So I'm watching uh, Girls Reverse, or I guess Girls Reverse, because Verse is sort of like a a virtual universe. This is the 430-year-old witch, 431-year-old witch singing now. So anyway, like the whole concept of this is that um, 30 uh, female K-pop stars um, are operating these virtual they call girl girl X's are the the women in the real world, and the girl V's are the, ver- the characters that they're playing in the virtual universe. You see what I'm saying? So this show was put on hold because of some rights issues with the avatars that they obtained. But um, I guess they must have worked it all out because just the past couple of days they've been airing them. I'm watching uh, episode two now with English subtitles, and uh, the reason I'm into it is because two of the girls are from Luna. The group that is seems to be finished at this point. They, they seem to be in the last death throes before the whole thing disbands. But you never know. They've been counted out before. Maybe they'll come back. But anyway, um, yeah, Heejin and Olivia Hay are uh, are playing characters. Uh, Heejin is Reen and uh, Olivia Hay is a Chonky Cat. I'm definitely rooting for Chonky Cat. She's the best. But anyway, what they did is they built this huge set. I, I was sort of assuming that... Each participant was sort of doing it from home or something, but no, <clears throat> they built this set, these 30 rooms, like a five by six grid, these little cubicles, and a, pre- a pretty advanced setup. It's sort of like, uh, you know, the headset and tracking systems and all this other stuff. Um, so it's a pretty advanced way of controlling an avatar. It kind of tracks your hands, your facial gestures, even your eyes blinking and stuff. So all 30 girls are, are in these cubicles at once. Uh, 
<coughs> and they, they, they enter this virtual world as girl Vs, virtual girls. And uh, it's just, it's a little too similar to this whole reality thing I've been talking about where, I mean, I don't know, stepping back to this world that I'm living in and how it seems to be off balance and there's systems behind the scenes and everything else. I mean, it does seem that the idea that we are each somewhere else patching into this reality, controlling these avatars, does seem to be, a, you know, it, it is one of the top theories as to what is going on here, I think. Uh, of course, we don't know at this level, but it seems that it could be a virtual reality. So it's weird that there's this show about something very similar. You know, you're sort of, you're somewhere else and you have to sort of suit up to sort of be able to control and patch into the the people living in this world or be, play the part of a person living in this world. <coughs> anyway, um, I found out that they're doing this show on uh, using a VR chat, which is a popular, um, you know, virtual universe uh, app that I, tr- I played it years ago, just very briefly. And then my uh, one of my nephews got, a couple of year or two ago, got one of those uh, Oculus sets. And I briefly went into a VR chat there. But I haven't been in a long time. But it, this show got me kind of curious about it. And of course, uh, one thing I mentioned recently is, you know, how I have always had this dream of creating a... <clears throat> you know, a virtual version of sort of like my ultimate, the ultimate 80s or 90s shopping mall, in my case, the Weasel Village Mall, and how I have sort of finally, I realized that it's not, that that dream is probably not a good use of my time. So I'm going to give the, I've officially given up that dream. I'm not going to create my shopping mall, (laughs) my amazing shopping mall. I mean, I have already, I mean, I've described it and talked about it enough that, you know, I, I have sort of created it in a fictional way, but I'm not going to do anything more with it. It's kind of painful to say that, but I feel, you know, you can't have it all. So I can't have my virtual shopping mall, but I figured I would, I would go into, uh, I would see about, are there shopping malls in (coughs) VR chat? And it turns out there are some amazing ones. See, I'm not the only one thinking in this vein. There's a lot of people thinking about uh, virtual shopping malls because, right, me growing up in the 70s and 80s, and 90s. Uh, I think I'm still growing up. But anyway, uh, shopping malls are such a huge part of my life. And they're such, they're such they become, there's like this weird aesthetic, uh, like this vaporwave aesthetic, which combines the real 80s with sort of a weird fictionalized 80s. That's become a big thing. So I found one called Palm Plaza Mall, right? Which uh, has a bit of that uh, vaporwave aesthetic. Here, here, here. Palm Plaza Mall is a series of vaporwave-themed virtual mall worlds created by, they call him Cake, in VR chat. It is divided up into a series of wings, each of which have their own unique theme or reason for existing, all being connected via world portals. Visitors are encouraged to explore the malls to find these portals, as some are less obvious than others. Yes, yeah, so this morning I was exploring Palm Plaza Mall. <clears throat> And uh, let's go in there right now, shall we? I'll go in turbo mode to try to go in there. 
I don't even know the last time I used this program. Was years ago. I think I, I think I was in my old place before I moved here. Yeah, I have a weird relationship with all the whole VR thing because <clears throat> I I certainly have a strong interest in creating virtual worlds, but <clears throat> I I had a huge involvement in it in 2014, even going out to California to display my demo at the uh, the VR Expo out there in Mountain View, California, in Silicon Valley. And that kind of got it out of my system, right? I needed to get it out of my system. Anyway, how's VR chat doing here? Let me see. <clears throat> Logging in. <coughs> I don't know how the world to how do you create a world in here? You have to, is it on your computer? Or is it on their servers? I, I don't know how it all works. <coughs> Am I going to go back to where I left off in the mall? It's kind of weird, that, you know. Like I sort of finally said, I'm going to, I'm going to stop with this. Oh yeah, wait, no, I'm not in there. I'm in somewhere else. Where am I? Where is this? I'm in some sort of. Oh, it's like the welcome area. Okay. <clears throat> let me let me uh, go to the world's menu. <clears throat> they have like recent worlds I visited or my worlds. Recently visited. Here we go. Oh, I also went to the Cooper Center Mall, which is actually, that's actually kind of cool too. It's a more realistic mall and Coconut Mall <coughs> from the... Um, Mario Kart. All right, let's go to the main plaza of the Palm Palm Plaza Mall. Here we go, teleporting in. All right. <coughs> Initializing world. See, it's not like, you know, the idea of a, like the best multiverse would be something where you go in and there's no loading screens like this. You just walk through portals or take transportation to go from place to place. Oh, wow, look at this. I don't think there's a lot of sound going on here, but wow, it's like beautiful. It's like daytime. There's a huge skylight with clouds. It's a books, a bookstore. Oh yeah, Memphis Village. I think that Memphis is this uh, this design style, kind of like. <clears throat> is it kind of like the the design style used on Pee Wee Herman or? <clears throat> There's a, it uses geometric shapes and pastel colors, and and then vaporwave uses uh, statues in a way like uh, like like Romanesque statues that and palm trees and stuff that was really never a big part of the real eighties, but it's a sort of imagined eighties. All right, let me go to Memphis. Let me teleport over to Memphis Plaza. It's not one mall; it's like a series of sub malls within the mall. <clears throat> Um, yeah, I got an avatar in a Naruto world, which is that... What's that guy's name? Mi Mizukawa? The, the guy who's like the son of uh, Orochimaru? <coughs> Mizu, Mizugachi or something? Yeah, I think that's my current avatar. Yeah, like checkerboards, palm trees, pastel-colored geometric shapes. Yeah. <clears throat> Almost there. Okay. 
Memphis Village. Really cool looking. <coughs> but I think like going through other people's virtual malls, these are very well done. Beautiful. Ooh, here's the food court, Picnic Square. It kind of feels like at some point I would need to sort of face... I know that I have a strong aesthetic urge to create the Weasel Village Mall, but like really ultimately what is the point of it? Like, right? In, I suppose, a very complex way, the shopping malls of my youth and young adulthood were very meaningful to me <coughs> in so many ways, but is that something that can really be shared with other people, right? The outer look of the shopping mall here is is simply sort of triggering my own memories and aesthetics of the malls that I went to when I was younger. But would someone that's younger get the same kind of feeling out of it? Like, is it is it meaningful? Or is the meaning sort of stuck in the past and in the, in the world of memory? I don't know. I'm in the arcade now. This definitely, I mean, this this is definitely has like that feeling of liminal spaces and <clears throat> like half the stores are closed. Where is the, uh, where th there was a really good teleportation booth somewhere around here that could take you to a bunch of different places. I think it was over here, maybe. I don't know. Oh, here's a cool, a cool corridor. Anyway, it's kind of, but again, it's kind of like, Oh, here's a... Oh, I can go to Sunset Square. Okay, let me teleport to Sunset Square. Another part of the, the Palm Plaza Mall. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so... There might not ultimately be a... Though it's very meaningful to me from an aesthetic standpoint, it may not be have a, more of a, a universality. Oh, cool! This 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 is like the mall that has just been completely like abandoned and everything's all knocked over. This is so cool. This is like completely dead mall. <coughs> I dig it. I think the teleportation area is over here. No, where was it? <clears throat> yeah, they have pink and blue neon. <coughs> But what really would be the analysis of it? I think that a shopping mall is, and and I think too, similar to a theme park, is a manifestation in our world of something else, right? That is, there's some deeper structures that a shopping mall hints at or is similar to but we, we recognize it from a deeper level of reality so it's like there are th maybe there's things like the, the sort of weird inter interior world of a mall that exists elsewhere in, in the multiverse that is something that is somehow important to us and those things in our world that hint at those things are a considered uh, it gives us this feeling. All right, where else can I go? Dreams Plaza. How about the 
Forgotten Plaza. I'm going to go to Forgotten Plaza. What the heck is that? See, I haven't fully explored uh, this mall yet. <coughs> but you see what I'm saying? There's, that's my theory, that there's something that has to do with who we really are, where we really are, that certain things in this world give us flashes, fragments of memory from our previous existence, our real existence. What terminology would you use? Our actual existence? I don't know. But if you could look down on us, are we all in these little chambers, just like the girls in Girls Reverse, controlling these characters? <clears throat> then who are we really? Well, how, whatever the case is, if that is, if there's any truth to that, there is some technology preventing us from knowing at this level who we really are. I just can't remember it. Wow, look at this. This is this is like this place is all messed up. It's all it's super dark. It's nighttime. This mall's abandoned. Oh my god, this is cool. This is so cool. You can hardly see where you're going. <clears throat> the mall is completely empty. This is so cool. Very liminal space. Sort of like dust motes flying in the air. This is very cool. I didn't know. I mean, uh, and just, you know, it's much better done than like Second Life, which is so old and not really good. This is kind of a cool place just to wander around these worlds, but there's no one else in these worlds. People could be in here. This is a common space. That is, you can, multiple people can be in these worlds at once. You can go in and, that's why it's called VR Chat, but no one happens to be in this place right now. Oh my God, look. It's one of those old weird playgrounds. <laughs> what the hell? This is very creepy. Anyway, let's get out of here for a moment. Because there's another virtual mall that just that, that was just released. Hold on, let me pause and get over to the other game. Okay, so we want to head over to the coin game. A great, a great game on you can get on Steam. This is a a one man studio, and it is a series. It's, it's this island called Islandville, and. Um, Basically, it started off as an, an arcade sim simulator, mostly redemption games. But now, you can walk around the whole island. There's multiple arcades. There's a carnival. You can get, like, a job. You have a house. You have a pet goose. It's a really cool game I've been playing on and off over the years. They have their own cartoon character, Popcorn Pete. Right? Sort of like a SpongeBob SquarePants kind of character. <clears throat> Let's go in here. Playing this game for years, so basically you're a human, but everyone else on the island are these are these robots. And uh, these days, the guy kind of he he updates it like once a year, and he just introduced just a f the past week, about a week ago, uh, the Islandville Mall. He has released the mall in a beta form. It's a beta mall, <laughs> so all these <coughs> virtual shopping malls I've been exploring. Game may take a few minutes to load. Okay. Pause. This is a single-player game, so there's, there's, you're the only person in this world besides the fictional robots.
All right, I think we're loaded here. Where are, am I at the mall? Where am I? Yes, I'm at the mall. It's snowing outside. It's nighttime. Let's go in the mall. PBR two on Islandville Radio. What? Yeah, and this mall also is like semi dead. There's a lot of like empty storefronts. The robots walking around. <clears throat> they have this place like uh, Spencer Gifts called Spunkies. <coughs> you can go in here and buy some lava lamps and stuff. Glowing skulls. Kind of cool. There's, of course, a central mall fountain. The strange rock formation sculpture. A jewelry store in the corner here called uh, Crocsterman. Crocsterman's? I don't know. Candy store. And then, of course, the arcade. Arcade Castle. Actual arcade games you can play, like the coin pusher called Mermaids in Space. I love this one. Let's play, shall we? Put my card in. I really recommend the coin game. It's a fantastic game. There's so many cool games to play. You know, this is one of those coin pushers where the coins... You keep adding coins and it pushes the other coins and you hope it falls down. and You know that whole thing. No. <coughs> it's kind of fun. There's a, yeah, there's a ski ball over there. Wow, it's actually called Ski Ball? Wow, I think that's like a trade trademark or something. Maybe he licensed it. You never know. Or maybe it's actually spelled a different way. Maybe it's like Scree Ball or something. But it's cool. You can actually play these games. That's the whole point of it. It's like actual, like, like redemption games. You know, games you play and you get those tickets and you get, get prizes, right? That whole thing. I haven't been to my house in this game in years. I don't know. I guess, but there's a house with your pet goose. You can go. You can live in your house, watch TV, and it's like an alternate life. Ooh, I won 130 tickets. Let me pick up my tickets and put them in my inventory. Yeah, this is sort of a castle-themed arcade. Several rooms. Kind of cool. Go back out into the mall. Oh, oh, there's a Santa Claus robot. I didn't see this last time. Get my picture taken with Santa Claus robot. <laughs> and there's, there's a there's a movie theater that has not opened yet, but it looks like it's about to be open soon. Here's the restrooms. And this is so realistic. It's like one of those restroom corridors with the black, the pictures of the mall's history on the wall. Some vending machines. But you can't go in the bathrooms. So. Well, because you, as, you, as you are a virtual person, you don't really need to go to the bathroom. The game's not that advanced yet. <laughs> I guess if you want it to be really realistic, eventually you'll have to go to the bathroom every so often, just like in the real world. <clears throat> And then you have the food court, sweets company, lemonade. Wasn't there some pizza, pirate pizza, Jerry's, gourmet Sammy's, sandwiches? 
It's great. Virtual shopping mall. Can I jump in the fountain? Yes, I'm in the fountain. Yeah, should go to the jewelry store. Can I buy jewelry? I don't know. How much does it cost? <coughs> There's a jeweler, jeweler bot. It's a jeweler robot. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm looking at jeweler. I'm in, in the jewelry store in the mall. It's virtual. All right. Candy store. I thought you could buy stuff in here. But yeah, there's convenience stores, supermarkets. There's all sorts of places you can go on, on Islandville. Anyway, let's get out of here. Quit game, yes. All right. Nice. <clears throat> and I know that I know there was a, a common. Um, story that people would always find themselves when they're dreaming in this mall world. Like, it's, a, it's an entire world, but it's just one giant shopping mall. I think I must have been there in dreams at some point. Um, but that, that also sort of plays into the concept that there is something like a shopping mall somewhere beyond this world, but someplace that we are ultimately familiar with so that shopping malls remind us of that world or I would say theme parks too also remind us of that other world <laughs> mall world maybe maybe oh, I, I did have a dream this morning that I remembered the big thing I remember is I was drinking a big glass of Guinness beer in the uh, the dream so yeah this is what I can remember from this morning's dream so I was like, at, I was at a place I was working, and there was going to be a long holiday break. So I was bringing everything home. I had all these, like, I guess there was a holiday party where I got presents and stuff, and I had a big black overcoat, and I had all these pockets, and I was just putting everything in the pockets of the coat to bring home. Um, then I was with these people. We were driving around the town, and we were, um, but it was almost like we were driving around planning for something we were going to do later. So it's like just to get the lay of the land. And we drove down to this uh, sort of like a ferry dock by this river. <coughs> and uh, it was like a, the concept like a ferry boat, but it was just this huge flat thing that would just float across the river both ways, right? It was like this platform, this floating platform that like tons of cars could go on to. Then it would just like drift across the river and you can just keep driving. It was very flat. Is there anything like that in real life? That sounds sort of like something that might exist. But we didn't want to go there. So we actually, I saw like, oh, inside the ferry dock area, there was like this stairway that went down. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can, you can get to the other side there. So... I don't know, I guess we abandoned the car or whatever. The car just vanished. Whatever happens in dreams. We were driving, but now we're walking. What happened to the car? Nothing happened to the car. It's a dream. Yeah. Um, so there's an area with like vending machines. And then we, we sort of, we wound up going the other way. We were walking and there was this um, kind of like a, 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 a vendor cart thing in the street. It was like a, uh, yeah, it was like a, uh, 
portable little, like a food truck or something. But it, it was something that you would tow. It wasn't actually, didn't have its own engine or anything. And the, and you can get Guinness, you know, like Guinness on tap, Guinness uh, stout beer. <coughs> so they're like, Frank, I know you want this. So the other dream person, again, these dream people that you're hanging out with have no identity. They're just these like random fill-in people. They're like, oh, we know you want this. So they got me a big glass of Guinness and it was like overfilled. And I'm like, oh yeah, I love Guinness. I'm trying to think if I drank any in the dream. I'm not sure. Um, and um, then a little bit later, I got home. I had like a big mansion. I was like super rich in this world, in this dream world. And uh, I think I just moved in. That's weird. More moving stuff to this new house. And the front door, it was like really tricky to close the door and lock it. <coughs> it was like there was like a, a bolt, you know, bolt lock kind of thing. But you had to like, you know, you know something you have to like pull on the door to get the bolt to go in. So it's like me and me and my wife in the dream were like trying to figure out how to work our front door in our mansion because we were rich in the dream. And I just had some Guinness and I saw the ferry boat thing. And when I woke up, I'm like, I could feel the dream just draining away instantly. And I'm like, no, I want to remember it. Though it wasn't, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was not that, uh, Exciting of a dream, but just some dream fragments. So, I don't know. I saw some random post about Pabst Blue Ribbon. They're, they're selling an 1844 pack. I think it's real. I, I don't know. I, I think I was researching this last night when I was half asleep. Like I was falling in and out of sleep sitting in front of my computer. Let me see if this is actually real. Because I guess the... The original Pabst Blue Ribbon was released in uh, 1844. So <coughs> they're selling, instead of a six-pack or a 12-pack, an 1844-pack, an actual box of beer that contains 1,844 cans of beer. Someone showed that they were selling it for like 850 bucks. Only 50 cents a beer. That's not bad. Um but this looks like it came out over over the last summer, so it's old news. But um, I was thinking, how big does this box need to be? 1,844 cans of beer. Sounds like it would have to be a lot bigger than that. <coughs> but I just typed into Google, the cube root of 1844, right, is 12.2. So th- that, that means, <coughs> let's even say 13, right? So, where's my calculator? 13, 13 beers. You could easily imagine 12, 13 beers by 13, right? So 13 times 13, 169 times 13, 2197. You don't even need that. Just 12, right? 12 by 12 by 12, 1728. So probably 12 by 12 by 13 will do it, right? 12 by 12 by 13. Yeah. Exactly. 12 by 12 by 13 is uh, 1872. So you have a little leftover. So imagine you had 12 beers width and height. So that's 144 beers. And then just 13 stacked of that 13 times. That's 1844. Right? That's not really, it's not really that big. I I would think you, I don't know. It's just counterintuitive. It feels like you need more space to put 1800 beers, but you really don't. 
<clears throat> I don't know if anyone bought the 1844 pack, but it was like I think I think it's like the classic publicity stunt, basically. With their right. Any any other images of this? The 1844 pack. Yeah, a lot of a lot of images. Apparently, oh, they only made 250 of them, but. Yeah, there it is. There's another one. <coughs> they said you need like a forklift to to bring it home, though. It's like it's too heavy to carry, basically. But you know, I think I think a good a good uh, candidate for the uh, a customer would be like a frat house. If you had like a frat house, that'd be a good thing. You'd probably finish that up in a week or two. <coughs> and they also had a 1776 pack a couple years ago, I guess. Pabst Blue Ribbon, the beer of hipsters. Yes, yes, indeed. Anyway, back to the mall issue. I very randomly came across this game <clears throat> called Green Dawn Mall. Yeah, apparently this was even like a Kickstarter back in the day. So it's like a role-playing game, like Dungeons and Dragons, but you go into a mall. Here's what it says. By Combe Martin. Um, you know what they say. You can find anything at the mall. Green Dawn Mall is a tabletop role-playing game, or RPG, for one game master and three to five players, in which you play teenagers who wander into an endless, distorted mall in search of their lost friend. The further you go, the stranger things get. Will you be able to find them and get back to the real world unscathed? You have entered Green Dawn Mall, looking for a lost friend. It won't let you leave. You'll like this game if you enjoy exploration and interactions with your surroundings, rather than combat, a world which is more odd than horrific, and random environments that will always surprise you, even if you're the GM. The rules aim for simplicity. Roll between 1 and 4, D6. Succeed on 5 or 6. That's about it. <clears throat> The mall continues to produce shops and things to be bought, but it's never enough. In addition to a complete game system, the 90 pages of this game include a method for generating an endless succession of stores for the characters to explore, 36 stores with a modular description taking into account things getting weirder and weirder, 252 NPCs or non-player characters and odd beings to populate the mall, 252 Odd objects for the PCs to experiment with. PCs, player characters. Six factions which are cohabiting within the mall. Four different ways of ending a session, including a confrontation with the heart of the mall. A description of the mall's upper and lower levels, even more labyrinthine than the rest. Options to play a short campaign or try other character concepts and a character sheet. So... It's pretty cool, right? I kind of like that idea. Green Dawn Mall. I thought I, thought, I remember. Yeah. I thought there was like a uh, a sample of like one of the stores. There's a million web pages about this thing. <laughs> but like, yeah, I think you just have to download it somewhere, or maybe you can buy the book. I don't know. I don't, I don't really have a gaming group I could play this with, but I thought it was kind of an interesting concept. Uh, where is it? <clears throat> Combe Martin. 
Oh, this is like the company that made it? Oh, there's also a French version. Let me see. Yeah, like uh, here's here's an example page. T-shirts in the mall. T-shirts are the epitome of cool. Their color, their slogan, sends a clear message of who you are and how people should see you. Unless you want to wear the same shirt as everyone else, which is also cool. Let's see. So there's five different levels of oddness in the game. Odd level one, the t-shirt store features only white shirts with blots on them looking like Rorschach tests. Upon inspection, the blots turn out to be insects, slowly rearranging their patterns. Can they communicate? Odd level two, the store features only shirts with letters, and it seems possible to organize them in a specific order. If done correctly, the people wearing them are suddenly mind-controlled by a higher entity. What? Odd level three, on all the shirts are printed landscapes drawn by children. With enough focus, the PCs can go for a walk in them through their, though their physics and inhabitants are a bit wonky. Odd level four, the shirts appear normal, but whoever wears them is linked with all the other wearers. They act and speak as one, copying the person who wore the first shirt. And finally, odd level five, the shirts are slowly secreting bodies. Some are half or two-thirds formed when the PCs arrived, alive enough to defend their peers. What? That's very odd. And then there's the <clears throat> non-player characters. You can have uh, flying shirts, fabric-eating shirts, a person convinced that they are a shirt, drunk teenagers trying to wear as many shirts as possible, a shirt that spouts animals, a bare-chested person who is destroying shirts. What? What the hell am I reading? All right, and then there's weird objects in the T-shirt stores in, the, in this Green Dawn Mall. A psychedelic shirt which hypnotizes those who look at it. A choking shirt. A shirt detecting the lies of who wears it. A bulletproof shirt. A t-shirt producing whatever is drawn on it. A pair of teleporter shirts from one to the other. So if you put on one shirt, you get teleported to the position of the other shirt. I don't know. This looks like a good game. <laughs> I'll wait for the computer version. I don't know if there'll ever be one, but... I like the idea of like an just an endless weird mall. Should I buy it? No, I think I'll skip this one. I think I'll skip it. But it was a it was a Kickstarter. I wonder how much money it made. Let's see. It it it, it raised four thousand one hundred and sixty six euro. Wow, a couple years ago. Wow, four thousand euro. I mean, yeah, it's not bad. But I know some Kickstarters go up to millions, so I guess 4,000. I mean, this is, obviously this idea is a very, you know, you know, I, I mean, it, it's not going to have as big, as wide an appeal as other projects. But like that tarot card thing I, that raised millions that I remember I was into that tarot card Kickstarter. No? No. Yes. Where are my tarot cards? What happened to them? I think they're over here somewhere. Yeah, I think I put them in this bag here. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where they are. Okay. In fact, come to think of it, my first version of the Weasel Village Mall, which I created back in the 80s, was an, an endless mall that, that you could never get out of. Very similar to that concept. But I came up with it back in the 1980s. Listen, well, I know it's, it's sort of, I think because this sort of 
vast or endless shopping mall somehow haunts all of our dreams and our vague memories. I think people independently come up with the idea. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of noodles, especially ramen noodles. And uh, to me, like a vegan ramen is like my favorite food in the entire world. Sometimes you, when you go out, you can find a place that has vegan ramen. Sometimes you can't. But, um, you know, I've, and I've gotten a bunch of, you know, the ramen you can make at home that's vegan. I've gotten so many different kinds, but almost universally, they're all horribly expensive or just so chock full of sodium. They don't seem very healthy. Remember, I got that one that was frozen and you had to go through these like this simple 18 step process to like reconstitute it at home. And it was like it was OK, but it wasn't worth all the effort. And then, of course, you know, um, like Kinjabang, right? Kinjabang. Those are really good. Um, I like Kinjabang noodles. But again, like I don't know that I have a particular issue with sodium, but it just doesn't seem healthy having like 2000, 2000 milligrams of sodium in like one one serving or something. But. Anyway, I haven't bought any regularly, but I did another search on Amazon and found this, the What If Nude Box. It's a very bizarre product. It's like, (laughs) and it's weird because I ordered this and it took a long time to come and it actually arrived on on Christmas Eve when everyone was over. So we opened the box and it's like, oh, it said, it it looks like a present. It does look like a present. Wait, aren't there... Don't I have two of these? Where's the other one? I have two nude boxes. N-O-O-D-B-O-X. Nude box. Because, I don't know. Nude box. Someone could take that the wrong way. Nude, like not having any clothes on, and box, which is semi-obscure slang for something else. But listen, I just have a dirty mind. I just have a dirty mind. Anyway, it's this hexagonal box with his lid. It looks it looks like a present. It looks like someone gave me a present. But no, I just ordered these for myself. Wait. Myself, selves. How are these for myself? Well, I did talk about me, Frank Nora, the character in this world, and whoever I am playing me in that other world. Oh yeah, there's another nude box back there, way back in the pantry. <laughs> I have two nude boxes. All right, so this is like a dark green box. It's hexagonal, and it does. It looks like a present. Oh, this this is good till July 2023. Okay, so it's from What If Foods. I don't know how they get away with that. Isn't what if like a big thing for Marvel Comics? I guess it's a different industry, though. Comic books, noodles, two different industries. What if noodles were made this way? Introducing nude box with assorted noodles. Four noodle blocks and seasonings. Made with the regenerative crop Bombara groundnut, wholesome and full of goodness. What the hell? This, feel, this feels like a fake product, doesn't it? What is Bam Nut? Bambara groundnut is a legume that is a great source of nutrients full of protein, minerals, and vitamin B. So what's in the box? We have bam nut noodles with sweet hot seasoning, charcoal noodles with mushroom pepper seasoning, moringa noodles with sesame garlic seasoning, and pumpkin (coughs) pumpkin noodles with cheeky curry seasoning. Hmm. How about the all-important sodium? Oh, not too bad. It's only only set, like between uh, seven, six forty and eight hundred milligrams per serving, which is actually not bad. I think I'm gonna have to go for the charcoal noodles because did I tell you when I went to that Ja 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 place in New York? They have uh, they had like a charcoal 
um, salsa. I thought charcoal made you sick. Doesn't it make you vomit? But I guess not. There's a lot more charcoal foods these days. That char charcoal salsa, man, I'm telling you. All right, I, I have to use my utility knife to open the nude box. It has these uh, cl clear plastic circles that are like sealing it up. Sealant. Whoa, okay. They must, have, they must have spent a pretty penny making these hexagonal boxes. The box must cost more than the noodles, for God's sakes. <coughs> All right, what do we got here? That's cool. Dark green. And it says, thank you for joining the regeneration by choosing what if foods you are replenishing yourself with the nutrients you need while truly making a difference for planetary health and farming communities. <laughs> They're really pouring it on thick. What, am I saving the earth by eating noodles? All right. So inside the box are individual packages here. Moringa noodles, bam nut noodles, charcoal noodles, and pumpkin noodles. All right, let me put the other ones back in there. I like this concept. I forget how much this was. All right. Close this up. Very complex, this whole box. All right. I mean, if I saw this in a store, I'd probably want to buy it. I mean, you know. What if charcoal noodles? Okay. <coughs> Bring 500 milliliters of water to boil in a pot. <coughs> milliliters? How about ounces? This is America. Add noodles in the boiling water and cook for three to five minutes. Drain noodles, place in a bowl, and mix in sauce, oil, and seasoning, and serve hot. Hmm. All right. So 500 ml. Let, let, let me see if my measurer has a... Oh, here's a good bowl to use. Let me see if it has milliliters on it. It does, actually. Wow. It has metric. 500? 500. Oh, okay. That's like, that's like uh, two ounces. Two cups. Sorry, not two ounces. Two cups. All right, let's do this. All right, let me just see, like, is there actual charcoal in this stuff? Let me see. Does it actually contain charcoal? That's a good question. Yeah, charcoal powder. Wow, nice. I mean, <laughs> charcoal sounds pretty cheap. I don't know if they would like use some weird like artificial black coloring just to make it look like charcoal. <laughs> Yeah. It is a uh, a purely a circular little bunch of noodles, and then we have the charcoal. Oh, there's yeah, there's oil. Yeah, there's there's. Hmm. Wait a minute. What are they saying? There's three packets. There's a uh, oil seasoning, <clears throat> sauce, oil, and seasoning. Okay. This is the oil, this is the sauce, this is the seasoning. Okay. All right. Let me do some cooking here. And uh, this look good. Charcoal noodles. While this cooks. Um, yeah, and the endless mall thing. Like when I went up to Canada, in Toronto and in uh, Montreal, they have these uh, underground corridors that it, there are like networks of endless malls. There's, I really... I feel like I only scratched the surface because the one in Toronto is called Path, P-A-T-H, 
and I and I did go through there. I actually recorded. I think, I think you joined me going through all the like this endless mall world underneath Toronto, and and Montreal has it as well, because it's so cold there. They want you, you can just sort of spend your whole day underground. <coughs> yeah, endless mall worlds. But so, what is the actual one in the other dimension? Like, what could it be, right? Like, is it a place that you just sort of go and is it like, let's say the real me is sitting in a chair with plugged into some sort of hardware to allow me to operate my character here. Right. The whole matrix thing. Right. So if I unplug from this earth simulation and I'm like, okay, I'm my real self now, like, Am I living in that in, in this giant mall world? Like, is that where we really live? But why would it be a mall if they're that advanced that they can create these simulations? Like, is it a mall in terms of like a shopping mall? A shopping mall is very much like a, a capitalist construct, right? Like, there's stores that are selling things, right? Prepackaged goods, right? That's sort of the hallmark of the mall. But would they have that, or wouldn't they be sort of a more advanced civilization? They probably got got past all that kind of stuff. Or is it, like, why would you organize a world like that? If Wouldn't it be better to have an outdoors and, you know, like towns and villages? Not like this, like a mall is very, like, an interior kind of place. So it must be a place that doesn't really have, like, an outside, per se. Maybe it is, like, well, this is also a big trope. Maybe it is, like, a giant spaceship. And everyone like sort of escapes the the boringness of living on a giant mall spaceship by just going into virtual realities of the past or other worlds. That's another question we don't, we don't know. Is like if this is a, a simulation where where I'm living right now, which seems like a you know I don't know the answer, but it seems like a there's a decent chance that that's, that could be the explanation. The real us who are projecting into here, are we just, we're also human beings in the same way and our world is kind of like this world or could we really be completely alien, right? Are the forms of our bodies and the form of the world we're living in just completely different? And this idea of human beings and earth with the sky and the ground and doors and cars and squirrels and... (laughs) moving trucks and all that stuff, that's just completely fictitious, not based on anything in, in the actual real world. Uh, I don't know. Well, if there's a mall, there'd have to be some kind of similarity between the worlds. Or maybe we just all live in a small world and we have no idea how we got there or how it came to be. It's just a giant, like, endless shopping mall. And one of the stores is just sort of like a place where you can go into a virtual reality and live in this world, right? That's another, um, the, uh, sorry, I paused there for a second. The idea that, right, we're, there's some truth behind our existence here. There's a next level up. Like, for example, right, you unplug and now you're back to being your real self. So we sort of imagine anyone at a higher level knowing everything. But chances are 
at the next level, yeah, we know that the earth that we this earth is fake, but we don't know it. We don't, we don't really know any more about the larger questions in the universe, right? Just because you go one level up doesn't mean you have all the answers. The hell is this hot pepper jelly? What is this stuff? Oh, it's one of those weird Christmas presents. Hot pepper jelly. Talking about pepper, there's these amazing pepper flakes. I really should tell you about these. My wife got them as like a present, but these are so good. It's a flat iron pepper company. And um, let me see what I got here. I got the uh, <clears throat> flat iron pepper company. Wait, they're saying it should be a capital I, flat iron? Hmm. Hold on a second. So I had never heard of these, but this is a brand that uh, takes the idea of, you know, when you go to the pizzeria, those pepper flakes, right? They took these and they, it says, you'll never go back to generic red pepper flakes. They created all these different versions. Like I have here, like the super hot set, Green Ghost, Smoke Show, and the other one I got. Um, <clears throat> they're so good. They're so, there's a bunch of different ones, but... Um, yeah, they have a bunch of different. Do they have this, just like a list of? They, yeah, they've Hatch Valley Green. This is the one I that I got, and it's so good. It has Big Jim, Sandia, Jalapeno, and Habanero peppers in there. I've been putting it on everything. It's so good. Um, four pepper blend, dark and smoky, sweet heat, and this is the other one I've been having. I can't feel my face, which has Carolina Reaper. Moruga scorpion, ghost pepper, and habanero pepper. It is super hot, but you can put a decent amount on something, and it's not too hot. You know what I mean? It's not, like, so hot that you can't take it. But it's super, super hot. Like, my nose starts running. I love it. They're saying it's 700, 750,000 Scovilles. Good stuff. Smoke show, 450K. Um, barbecue rub, Asian reds, green ghost. Calabrian chili pepper, UC Bieber. <laughs> they have so many different ones. It's so good, though. Oh, my God. Let me have some right now. If you're into such things. Ooh, are we, it's boiling. It's boiling. All right. Let me put the. Uh, see, when it's been boiling for a while, I wonder how, like, how long before it boiled, it, it was too much. Like too much of the water boiled away. But anyway, wait. How long do I have to cook this for? The charcoal noodles. Three to five minutes. I don't know. Should I do it for four? <laughs> like, what is it? Three or five? Okay. Four minutes. Okay. Anyway, here's the uh, Hatch Valley. That th that was the whole, remember when I was at New Mexico, the whole pepper thing, Hatch Peppers, right? Red or green, that whole thing. It's just, let me just, these aren't super hot. So this is like, dump some in my hand and toss them in my mouth. Mm, 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 mm. Oh my god, it's so good. I mean, just this one it's by itself is so tasty. A bit of heat, amazing. Mm. <laughs> of course, I can't feel my face. Is uh, should I do the same thing with that? That's kind of dangerous now. Let me just dump a little bit out in my hand. I better wash my hands afterwards though, because here we go. 
sneaks up on you. <coughs> ah! Whoa! That is some hot stuff. Wow. Woohoo! Love it. Carolina Reaper. Oh. Whew. So good. Such a great product. I can't recommend it enough for pepper heads. What do, what do people call it? Like hot pepper. Well, some of it's not even that hot, you know. Anyway. <clears throat> I got to drain this. What the hell? I have to use a whole colander for this thing. All right. It's annoying that I have to drain it. What's up with this part? This, because you know, like the holiday phenomenon, people people bring stuff over to your party, but in these containers, and you have to like wash them and then put them somewhere, and then eventually try to figure out who gave them to you and give them back. Why is it, I, 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 every time I do the dishes, like a few hours later, there's like a million more dishes. What's up with that? I don't know. All right, these charcoal, charcoal uh, whew, that thing is hot. These charcoal noodles are uh, simmering here in the water. No, it's not simmering, boiling. Should, do you think I should like, because it was in like a block, should I like kind of try to separate it? Yeah, I think it's kind of separated. Okay. <coughs> so what's next? Drain. Drain noodles. Place in a bowl. Mix in sauce, oil, and seasoning. Optional for both cooking methods. Keep one to two tablespoons of cooking water for ease of mixing. Okay. I think we can do that. Hmm. Or we can also do it in the microwave. Oh my God. <coughs> you know, let me just get a little bit of that cooking <coughs> water. <coughs> Put it in here. Is this a tablespoon? I don't know. It's just like a big spoon. All right, whatever. The optional method. <coughs> okay. Whew. See, they even gave us some of these um, little sample packs of the hatch, hatch peppers. So good. Yeah, because I, I always sort of thought that, the, that those little red pepper flakes, like the pizzerias, like they were okay, but they could be so much better. And that's what these people thought, too. Why are they so crap? Like, is this like the cheapest of the cheap? I mean, I don't know. All right, let's drain it. All right. All right. Charcoal, they're black, black noodles, charcoal noodles. All right, got that going. And I have to wash that colander, right? <coughs> Is that a colander or what, what's the other name for that? I don't know. All right. So now we have the oil, a little plastic packet. Rip it open and squeeze out the oil. Doing some oil squeezing here. All right, and then we have the sauce. Again, in a little plastic packet. <coughs> that stuff is too hot. Oh my god! Not this. The the uh, flat iron. 
And then we have these seasonings and a foil pouch. Is this actual, it's not really metal, but it's like a metal, metallic plastic. <coughs> Damn. under the effect of that other pepper I ate. Wow. Like a delayed reaction or something. That's wild. <clears throat> All right. Let me stir this up. The charcoal noodles. <clears throat> See, have I ruined my taste buds for, for trying out this product <laughs> by having those Carolina Reapers or whatever the hell that was? Woo! The eyes are watering. Woo! Anyway, let's go sit down and have some of these Bam Nuts. This is just like too much. This product, it has like a hexagonal box. It has Bam Nuts. It's like what if the noodles of the future. It has charcoal. It's like it's like so innovative. It's like, dare I say, is it even too innovative? Can can anything be too innovative? I don't think so. It's multi-innovative nude box. <coughs> All right. We need to do some serious noodle tasting here because, you know, at least with uh, Kinjabang noodles, they do have the uh, Microsoft, Microsoft, microwave method, and you can drain it using what they gave you. You don't have to use a colander kind of thing. Is there another name for colander I'm not thinking of? You know, thing you drain pasta in, you know, or vegetables. <coughs> All right. Let's see. Where's this website? What if foods? What if foods? Do they have other things too? <coughs> Products. They also have Bam Nut Milk. And they have the noodles. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Let me try to independently see what these BAM nuts are. <clears throat> I think they made this up. BAM nut is, is this company. But BAMBARA ground nuts. Let's see. Is Can I find any independent... Bambara groundnut, an underutilized leguminous crop. Okay. All right. Ugh. Rapid population growth, climate change, intensive monoculture farming, and resource depletion are among the challenges that threaten the increasingly vulnerable global agri-food system. See, this feels like copy I'd read if I was doing voiceovers, which I did dabble in a bit many, a couple decades ago. Heavy reliance on a few major crops is also linked to a monotonous diet, poor dietary habits, and micronutrient deficiencies, which are often associated with diet-related diseases. Diversification of both agricultural production systems and diet is a practical and sustainable approach to address these challenges and to improve global food and nutrition security. nutritional security. What the hell am I reading? It's all about these BAM nuts. <clears throat> Right. Anyway, enough talk. Let's try it out here. Let's actually try the charcoal noodles of the Bam Nut. Okay. 
There you go. Mmm. Mmm. Pretty good. Interesting. Interesting flavor. A little, little garlic in there. Pretty kind of a creamy edge to it. Noodles have like a, a semi-firm texture. I like this though. This is good. It's different. It's a good. It's a good noodle though. Very good noodle. I like it. Charcoal noodles. A new food experiment. <laughs> a new food uh, source. Nice. All right, let me see. That was actually really good. Really, really good. Very different, too. Different than any other kind of noodles I've ever had. But um, let me see how much that... I forget how much it was. Nude box. Mm -hmm. <coughs> I can't even find it anymore. I found it on Amazon. Bam nut. Yeah, here we go. So that box was twelve fifty. Oh wait, no, no, no. That that that's if you that's for five. Okay, that's not too bad actually. <clears throat> Let me see. The box I got though, <clears throat> it was twelve fifty for four. Okay, because it's a sampler. Okay, that's not too bad, right? No. Was that like three, a little over three dollars each? And if you buy the five pack, yeah, that's actually not too bad at all. That's that's a decent price actually these days, you know. <clears throat> wow, but the one thing <coughs> I'm trying to figure out is <coughs> like where is this company based? There's no in all of their website and everything. There's no information about where are where are they located? Who are they? Like it just right. It's what if USA LLC, but they're not saying like where their offices are or anything. I'm, I'm trying to find <clears throat> or where they grow these nuts. What if food's named as real leader for impact? Isn't it kind of creepy that they don't, they don't give like an address of an, like an office or something? <clears throat> Let me look on the package, see if they have anything. At least a city and a state or something. Okay, designed in Singapore, product of Malaysia. Okay, all right. Manufactured for an import. So there's a sticker on here, but if I take the sticker off, there's more information. All right, there is there is a, there is an address here underneath this sticker. No, it's 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 in it's in Singapore. Hmm. <clears throat> Manufactured for and imported by What If Noodles Limited. One Clean Tech Loop. Clean Tech One Singapore. Okay, interesting. <clears throat> Should we look I'm gonna look this up on Google Maps. One Clean Tech Loop Singapore. So I guess it's made in Malaysia. They're off what their offices look like.
Yeah, it came up immediately. Clean, there's one clean tech loop. Nice. So we can look at the offices where the noodles come from. <laughs> Let's say any street. Oh, there's Street View. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's see. Yeah, it's a. Uh, <clears throat> looks like an office park kind of place. Clean tech view. Where's clean tech loop? <clears throat> Throw Kwong pottery jungle. It's a pottery jungle. <clears throat> Hold on. <clears throat> Interesting. I know uh, Ruben used to live in Singapore. He may have more insight into Singapore. That's interesting. It's a really big building, too. Clean tech loop. But is this only for businesses that have, like, clean technologies? Like, if you're, like, like diesel engines and stuff, you can't go here. Remember that article about Singapore from Wired Magazine way back when? Disneyland with the death penalty. Let me zoom back here and see, like, where is this in relation to everything? Oh, yeah, Singapore's just sort of like a city-state kind of place, right? It's all surrounded by Malaysia, yeah. And uh, Ruben also lived in Kuala Lumpur, a bit to the north. <coughs> KL, as, he, as they call it. The expats call it KL. Yeah. <coughs> Oh, wait, this is on... Okay, so... <coughs> it's, so it's basically... All right, so you have, like, Thailand, right? And then that go, there's a peninsula that goes down, and then it... That peninsula is part... Part of that peninsula is part of Malaysia. <coughs> kind of reminds me of the uh, Delmarva Peninsula <coughs> down by Delaware. Okay, so KL and Singapore are both on that... And then there's more land that's on Malaysia. <coughs> yeah. Great. Now we know all about noodles. All right. Some more information here. So they do say this on their website. What if foods.com. Where are you from? What if foods is a truly global company. Our team consists of numerous nationalities, including Singaporean, Austrian, French, Australian, Chinese, Malaysian, Indian, and more. Well, that's a recycling truck out there. Our headquarters are in Singapore. Our factory is in Malaysia. Our Bambara groundnuts are from Ghana, and our spices are from all over the world. So they're growing them in Ghana. <coughs> Interesting. See, the plot thickens. I thought, yeah. All right, so where's Ghana? <coughs> Ghana is uh, in Africa. By uh, it borders on Cote d'Ivoire or the Ivory Coast, Burkina Faso, and uh, Togo, and it's not too far from Benin. <coughs> There's the Gambia, Guinea-Bissau. See, I, I I do consider myself a bit of a uh, I, I, I do care about geography and I, I can fill in all of the US states and Canadian provinces I think but Africa I still need to memorize all that it's very tough 
I just haven't spent enough time memorizing it. I should try to memorize it. There's Ghana. Sub-Saharan. Yeah, that's where it gets a little green again after that Sahara Desert. Interesting. Interesting. Ooh, there's the recycling people getting my uh, cardboard. Nice. All right. Digging a little deeper, here's Ghana. Human rights in Ghana. Homosexual acts are prohibited by law in Ghana. According to a 2013 survey by the Pew Research Center, 96% of Ghanaians believe that homosexuality should not be accepted by society. Sometimes elderly women in Ghana are accused of witchcraft, particularly in rural Ghana. Issues of witchcraft mainly remain as speculations based on superstitions within families. In some parts of northern Ghana, there exist what are called witch camps. It is said to house a total of around 1,000 people accused of witchcraft. The Ghanaian government has announced that it intends to close the camps. What? I never heard of this! Listen. If witchcraft is real and you have witch camps with thousands of witches in these camps, you don't think they'd come up with some kind of magic spell to get revenge or something? Oh my god. Ay, ay, ay. What's going on here? <clears throat> wow. Listen. Whew. Well, you know. Listen, there's a lot going on in this world. What do you want? But, I don't know. That makes me a little less enthusiastic for these noodles at this point. Yeah. Anyway, I know, I, I, I know. We can be very judgmental here in the West. And, uh, yes, anyway. Noodles. The noodle rabbit hole. What, they have a town called, there's a city called Tamale? <laughs> what? Tamale, Ghana. Wow. It's an interesting name. Do they have tamales in Tamale? I mean, I don't know. Do they have, like, Mexican places there? Mexican food? No, not getting any good hits. No, no. Anyway, in other news, um, as I mentioned last time, I'm uh, I'm doing dry January with my neighbors and my wife. It's where you don't drink any alcohol in in the month of January. And uh, you know, I because I I usually I usually do wind up having a drink like a beer or two or some shots of liquor or whatever every day, and you know. I don't feel like I need it. I don't feel like I'm addicted. And I thought it's good to, to see how it goes for like a month. I decided to add cigars to the dry, the dryness. Uh, because I do, I have wound up basically smoking probably a half to a third of a cigar every day. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know, I feel it's a bit excessive. I'd probably pref I'd prefer to smoke maybe one or two cigars a week or, you know. Well, I probably, that's probably how much I smoke anyway, because I'm, I'm not smoking the whole cigar at once. But anyway, so it's been uh, what five days now, and um, I would say that I had I don't have a craving for either. I have no cravings to have a drink of alcohol of any sort, and no cravings to smoke a cigar. But I think I am having a, a slight nicotine withdrawal. Um, it's not producing a craving to smoke a 
cigar, but it's sort of, I think it's sort of like um, making me a bit out of sorts or irritable. What's the right word? Like sort of your nerves are on edge, that kind of thing. And it it got pretty bad yesterday. Um, When I say bad, I mean it's, in the scheme of things, it's not bad. But um, Because, you know, on the last episode two days ago, I was listening to some new music, new to me, uh, Apollo 440. I listened to that album a bunch more times, uh, Dude Descending a Staircase from 2003. What an amazing album. It is so good. I can't believe I missed it the first time around. I also listened to a little bit of Goldfrap, but, yeah, I don't like her singing voice. I don't like her. Yeah, so I'm not really – I kind of got – yeah, I kind of don't like gold Goldfrap. I tried. But I was very – as yesterday wore on, I got more and more kind of – what's the right word for it? Um, just kind of like annoyed or – Everything was like annoying me. Like the music was annoying me. I'm like, I need some calm music to, uh, some very calm music that will suit my, my, my state of being at the moment, you know. And uh, one album came to mind that I had, I had discovered and I had explored a couple of years ago Slow Dance by Anthony Phillips. Certainly not very well known. This is. Yeah, this is this is how it starts. Um, this is a, a progressive rock instrumental album, definitely in the same universe as Mike Oldfield, one of my favorites. Um, but this was the perfect music for me to listen to in my sort of nicot- nicotine withdrawal state. But it, again, it was very subtle. It, it wasn't very pronounced. The amount of nicotine you're getting from the cigars is to be a so minor compared to smoking cigarettes but this so Anthony Phillips uh, actually was in Genesis yes the band with uh, Peter Gabriel and um, uh, Phil Collins right that Genesis he was only Anthony Phillips was only in it for like their first couple of albums and he quit the band apparently due to stage fright Never mind that at, 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 at that point, uh, Peter Gabriel was dressing up in these outrageous costumes. No one probably even noticed Anthony Phillips, but yeah, he had stage fright. So this album, Slow Dance, is from 1990, and it just, it's this incredibly unique work. In fact, even for, with his, for his body of work, this is very unique. Fast forwarding, it just has all these different musical concepts and stuff going on and you, you, you learn more and more every time you listen to it it's really an amazing work and there was a really good review of it too let me, let me see on Prague Archives a really kind of let's see what that where that review is yeah, here's a review. Um, a rare example of perfection within the confines of an album suite. Slow Dance is the thick as a brick of ambient or uh, ambient-oriented progressive music. A must-own pair of movements that touches everything from pastoral classicism to infectious worldly beat to electronics and back again, creating a feeling of transcendence that only grows more and more prevalent as the minutes pass leaving you breathless by the end. If you don't own this album, you are doing yourself a grave disservice. 
as this is the closest to perfection that New Age has ever got in terms of musical engagement. And furthermore, the best thing that Anthony Phillips has done since the late 70s. Get this! Good review there. Definitely, uh, definitely just what I needed yesterday and today. I'll keep listening to some slow dance today. I know just a few samples may not may sound a little bit boring or whatever, but believe me, if you hear this a few times, it is a very deep, amazing work of music. Fast forward. It's a bit later now. Uh, another food product that I got ads for is called Square Eat. I did not get this one. I, I don't think I'll be getting this one. Um, it's just it's kind of fascinating because they take food and they like mash it up into these like squares. <laughs> it's like these little food squares. I'm trying to see if I can find it. They like mash up all kinds of food. Yeah. Do they have anything like describing it? The squared shape results from the cooking process needed to achieve our goal. Make people's life easier without sacrificing taste. Square Eat is easy and convenient to consume. It is pre-cooked using gourmet techniques like low-temperature cooking and thermal shocking that preserve nutrients, textures, (coughs) and maintain intact flavors. So why do they be... be, Each square is 1.6 ounces of food. And and the the packaging is like uh, like each food food square is like shrink wrapped onto like this card. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It's like food units. I like that. <coughs> Let's see square packs. Like it's a sweet potato, but it's been like compressed into this. Like they're all the same size. Basmati rice as a square. That's so cool. <coughs> Quinoa as a square. Look at that. Broccoli and spinach, asparagus, zucchini, beef, chicken, sea bass. They've all, all been compressed. Salmon, beans, vegan cheese. It's like the, a universal food stuff. This is kind of cool. They took peanuts and mashed it into a square. Look at this. See, I, I, I could see this appealing to a certain type of personality, right? Like food is just, if people are like neat freaks or whatever, like food is just too all over the place. Just just get a bunch of squares. And <coughs> every food product you eat is just like the same size, the same shape. Food squares. It, it, it does seem like future food in like uh, 1960s space stations. <laughs> it seems like something they would have served in the Earthlight Room, uh, uh, Howard Johnson's Earthlight Room in the space station in 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> right? Oh, by the way, yeah, I was that was something on my uh my docket to talk about my 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 show notes, the Earthlight room. Let me see. A choco pancake square. <laughs> what do they have french fries that have been smashed into a square? What? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> no. I think you I think you just cut it up and make fake french fries out of the square food. Meal plans. Sauces? That ruins the whole thing. Oh, they have sauces in regular jars. That ruins the whole shape thing. Hmm. And how much does this stuff cost? Hmm. 
for fifteen ninety, you get a v- three vegan burger squares, two sweet potato squares, and one broccoli and spinach square. <laughs> you always, or you can get three salmons, one zucchini, and two basmati rice squares. I kind of like the idea of like like rice just sort of being compressed into a square. That's kind of a good idea. But couldn't you do? I mean, couldn't you do that at home? You just get like a little mold, and you can make all these foods at home. But, I mean, if you already had the food, you could just eat it. You wouldn't need to make it into a square. I'm just trying to see if they have... Oh, here's a video. The guy, Paolo Cadigiani. Paolo Cadigiani. Here's the guy who invented food squares. The idea behind the square eat comes from a personal need. As a semi-professional artist, <coughs> I've always struggled dealing with a busy life. Uh, excuse me, there's, there's spelling errors in the, in the subtitles here. Athlete, A T H E L T E. We have proofreading squares. Okay, square people. Semi professional athlete, I've always struggled dealing with a busy lifestyle. So I had to start looking for a balanced and tasty diet. The ready to eat meal plants were my best option, but their quality and taste was very poor. And the most known brands were not even close to what I was looking for. At that point, I went back to cook on my own. And thanks to my knowledge, the result was much tastier, but still waiting cooking, packing, cleaning, dealing with the conservation modalities. The struggle was real. I thought there must be a way to have a healthy, tasty, long-lasting race. I, I think this is a solution looking for a problem. Because <laughs> they, you know, you know, like in those infomercials that showed people like, like struggling to cook and having problems cooking things. But how? In order to achieve these results, I realized I have to reinvent the whole food concept. Check it out. What if we told you we can transform and standardize almost every type of food in a 50 grams square that provides all nutrients without any additive? Our production is simplified by our unique way to process fresh food. As soon as we receive it, we don't store it and then process it like other meal plants do. We transform it in squares right away, thanks to our innovative and proper... <laughs> I mean, this really... I think it's a real product, but it, it does feel like something on uh, Tim and Eric's awesome show. Great job, right? I think this is fake. I think this is this is like a parody or something, right? For food preparation process based on low temperature cooking and thermal shocking, we're able to preserve all nutrients and extend food life. The product does not stay fresh just for the next couple of days, but up to four weeks. And that is why we're able to deliver the healthiest, freshest, and most complete food the meal plan industry has ever seen. Uh, okay. I guess it's real. I don't know. I mean, <coughs> little food cubes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so so the starlight room. Let me look at my notes. Earthlight room, that is. Earthlight room. So you're just one of many topics, I think, that just fell by the wayside. And, uh, well, I, I write it down a ton of topics for this show. Probably, you know, a, a large portion of them never never get on the show. But let's see. Yeah, I have this, this file here. Topics that never made it on the show. Look at this huge file. I keep track of them, though. How many, how many pages is this? If, we, if, if you were to print it out like 8.5 by 11. How many pages of... of Show notes that were never made into anything, never talked about on the show. 
121 pages so far of stuff I never talked about. Well, obviously, it's, it's like the less good topics. I, I wouldn't worry about it. These are not great topics. Like here, Here's a random one. The Upper Canada Village Mug. I saw, I saw a mug online for Upper Canada Village. Um, I, th I think it was one of those milk glass uh, mugs from uh, Anchor Hawking. Fire King. Not really necessary. But what is Upper Canada? No, we're not going to talk about Upper Canada Village. See, these are all good, uh, good topics. All right, whatever. <coughs> all right, let's look up Earthlight Room. We're going to revive this one. This one topic. Yeah, I have links too. Yeah, Howard Johnson's Earthlight Room. All right, we're going to bring this one back. We're going to, we're going to cut and paste. Back into the live show notes. There you go. Revival of a show note from the distant past. So this is, uh, this is from the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. The, do the doctor, remember Dr. Floyd goes in, in, into the space station, right? Do, 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 right? And then he calls his daughter, and she's like, Daddy, I want a bush baby, Daddy. Daddy, are you coming home for Christmas, Daddy? He's like, well, well, daughter, uh, I don't think so. I'm in space, damn it! I'm on a space station. I can't come home right now. I'm going to the moon to check out a monolith, for God's sakes. So then you see the Howard Johnson's Earthlight Room sign. So they thought that in 2001, like, Howard Johnson's would still be a thing, and they would open their own, like, restaurant in space. I mean, it's still possible. I know... Every every couple of months, you see a story about another company trying to build like a space hotel, right? It, 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 and I think it's they're all just like investment scams, just like the flying car scams. I don't think there's any space hotels going to be happening anytime soon. But I don't know. Howard Johnson's could always come back, right? I, I mean, I mean the Howard Johnson's hotel still exists. There's one like a mile or two away from me now. Early Skype and Hojo's Earthlight Room in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. So there's a... Now, I'm just wondering, is that an actual frame from the movie or is it a publicity shot? But you see the people in those really funky mid-century modern chairs. And you had the picture phone from the Bell System, <laughs> another defunct brand, and Howard Johnson's Earthlight Room. And um, what's really interesting is that I don't think you see the Earthlight Room, but they have two different logos, Right? For Howard Johnson's Earthlight Room. And uh, oh, I lost my space here. So we know one of the logos is a simple simple Simon, Metapiman, right? Remember that whole thing? So if you don't know, Howard Johnson's was this massive restaurant chain that was just everywhere. And their logo was of was based on that nursery rhyme, Simple Simon, Metapiman, going to the fair. So Simple Simon, right, was this kid who was, uh, you know, basically, like, pardon the expression, retarded. You know, I know today that's not an accepted term, but he's a developmentally disabled child, right? Simple Simon. The word simple meant that. Remember Simple Jack from uh, Pineapple Express? You never go full retard. Remember that whole thing? Again, I don't want to keep using this word. I understand the word is verboten these days but 
Anyway, so Howard Johnson's for most of their existence had this had a, had had a retarded child as their logo, right? I don't think very many people understood that. And at some point, they got rid of it. They got rid of that logo, and at that point, the whole company collapsed. That was like their good luck charm. So now in space, they have that logo and then someone else, some other logo. I'm, I'm gonna, I know one of these links you can zoom in. <clears throat> i got to find – where can I find the movie? I want to see it in the actual movie because now, now I'm like – because this is really interesting because, you know, is that what ruined Howard Johnson's when they got rid of that, uh, that logo? Mm, hold on. Let, let me uh, – ah, this is, this is too much. Let's see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's the other logo. Simple Simon talking to a lamplighter. Okay, yes. Howard Johnson's Motor Lodges also had Simple Simon, but he was talking to a lamplighter, not to the pie man. So is that what's in the 2001 A Space Odyssey? Hold on a second here. Let's take a look at this. I need to get a, a higher resolution image of this whole thing. Yeah, I think it is. So it's both the logos. That's really interesting. I wonder if Howard Johnson's was involved uh, when they made this movie. Did they have to get permission from them? Or? But yeah, it's both logos overlapping, if you look at this. Okay. <clears throat> All, right, let me, uh, All right, let me dig a bit deeper here. All right, this might help us. A site called Moonbase Central. Howard Johnson's 2001 comic promotion. So Howard Johnson's created a, a little comic book of 2001. So it was like a cross promotion. On display, at, there was a London Kubrick exp, 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 exhibition, okay? And then the Howard Johnson's logo of the fictional Earthlight Room is fairly prominent in one of the walls of the seating area in Space Station 5. So this is the one picture. I don't know if this is actually from that exhibit or is it... I don't know what it's from. I guess it's probably from the exhibit. Um, you can absolutely see uh, the two square logos. On the lower left is this the Lamplighter Motor Lodge logo, and the upper right is Simple Simon. They both have Simple Simon, but the one with the pie man and the dog. Yeah. <clears throat> is it a pie man or a pie man? <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> and, yeah, Howard Johnson's Earthlight Room appears in the comic book without the logos. <clears throat> okay. So now I just need to find where can I see this movie. I, I, I'm assuming on one of the various streaming services I, I subscribe to, I should be able to get 2001 A Space Odyssey. I think, actually, I, it was on HBO Max, right? Well, who knows? That was a while ago. They keep changing what they have. Yep, HBO Max. Let's see. I do subscribe, so... <coughs> Wait a second. HBO Max. HBO Max. <coughs> Aren't they going to change the name of it just to Max? They keep changing all the, na the name of all this stuff. All right, here we go. 
I wonder at that exhibit was the was it the actual sign that was like a prop that they used? Hmm. All right, let's see. Two thousand one. Yes, Space Odyssey. Wait, I just saw it. Where is it? I don't make it easy. Here we go. <clears throat> That's a good movie, just full of symbolism and all sorts of stuff. MGM. That's a cool MGM logo they had back then. Doesn't it also have like an intermission you, you can watch? Like it's. Was there intermission? Anyway, let me. Let me there's the apes. Oh, the ape throws the bone in the air, it becomes a spaceship. Here we go. Dr. Floyd. It's a very good movie. Obviously, one of the best. You are sending that Hi. See you Cool, man. There's the space station. Reception desk. I've seen you out here for a long time. And I see you again. Why couldn't they go into the Howard Johnsons in the movie, though? So at least we could see it. Oh, he, he has to... Oh, wait, it's coming up. I, I, I'm, I'm fast-forwarding to the little preview. Christian name? What the heck's that? Your Christian name is like your first name? They have Christians in the future? Now what? What's going on here? Hilton, Hilton Space Station 5. They have coffee bar, and it's that curved set with those groovy chairs. Can you get those chairs? That seems like the kind of chair they'd have at like an Alamo draft house. Because they do have the rug from, or the carpeting from The Shining there, another one of Kubrick's films. <clears throat> it's quite a scene. I'm, I'm looking for the Howard Johnson's logo. <coughs> Come on, here we go. There, here, there it is! In the movie. Oh my God, Simple Simon made it into the movie twice. They have the Bell System picture phone, and there's, Wow. She's a bit of a different shot than the one they were showing. I think that was a publicity shot, but there it is. Howard Johnson's Earthlight Room with the two overlapping logos right there in the movie itself. He's going to call his daughter now. Did he say they're going to the restaurant? That, hold, hold, hold on. They're going to Howard Johnson's, but we don't see them go. Look, the, the other guy's going into Howard Johnson's right now. <laughs> I want to see it. I saw someone online like like made like a 3D prediction of what it might look like, but <coughs> when he has to put his credit card in the machine, and this is actually uh, Kubrick's daughter, I think, right? And she didn't even know she was being filmed. Is that the whole thing? Video phone calls. What do they think of next? Mommy? Going to shopping. 
Who's taking care of you? Rachel. Now speak to Rachel, please. Going to the bathroom. Are you coming to my party tomorrow? I'm sorry, sweetheart, but I can't. Why not? Well, you know, Daddy's traveling. Very sorry about it, but I just can't. I am. I'm going to send you a very nice present, though. Anything special that you want? Yes. What? A telephone. We got lots of <laughs> telephones already. Did you think of anything else you want for your birthday? Something very special. Such a weird scene in this movie, you yes. know. What? A bush baby. A bush baby. Well, we'll have to see about that. Listen, sweetheart, I want you to tell mommy something for me. Will you remember? Yeah. Tell mommy that I telephoned, okay? Is the earth behind him spinning around? Well, I'll try to telephone again tomorrow. Will you tell her that? Yeah. Okay, sweetheart. <laughs> have a nice birthday tomorrow. Uh, have a nice birthday party tomorrow, too, huh? All right. Okay, now take care and be a good girl, won't you? All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Happy birthday. A dollar seventy. <laughs> Pretty cheap, you know? All right, so now I think that was it for the Howard Johnsons. Oh, there's another. You see Howard Johnson's again in the distance there, yeah. <laughs> Elena, how nice to see you again. Hey, Wood, what a wonderful surprise to meet you here. Uh, you're looking wonderful. Haywood hey Floyd, right? Well, is he the guy that, pro I think he programmed HAL, right? The supercomputer? The evil the evil computer that kills everyone? And this is Dr. Andrei Smyslov. Oh, how do you know? I've heard a lot about you. Could you sit down? Oh, wait, they do, they do serve the food in the, in the shuttle that goes to the moon, right? Yeah, they're like food cubes. They're the same thing. Look at this. It's, it's food cubes, basically. But wait, wait. They skipped over the part how they got to the moon, though. Wait a second. It's kind of far from Earth orbit to the moon now. <laughs> I want to see the food cubes. Yeah, it is. Look at this. It's oh no. Okay, each they're like little they're little square boxes, but they have little little straws in them to eat to drink the food from because it's weightlessness. <clears throat> All right, thank you, thank you, Howard Johnson's Earthlight Room and Simple Simon appearing twice in the logos. There you go. Oh, wait a minute. I just realized something. I also have a file of the topics I did talk about on this show. So we can, we can determine the, um, the ratio of talked about topics to not talk about topics. <coughs> Let me see. How many pages? I said it was like 121 pages. Let's see what the stuff I did use on the show, how many pages that is. Mm -hmm. Loading. And this, I mean, obviously this goes back to a certain point in time. I'm not sure exactly how long I've been using this system, but for a while at least. I used to print out my show notes. Uh, Wow, really? 264. So was it like a two to two to one ratio? So every, it's like one third of the show notes I write down I don't use. Is that? I don't know if that's particularly accurate because it. <coughs> this is the number of actual characters or letters 
some concepts have more letters than others. So it's not really accurate. Though as a rule of thumb, perhaps. You might say the topics used and topics not used would have the same range of characters per topic. I may be reading too much into this. But anyway, something like that. Listen, it all works. It all works. I can't talk about every topic. Come on. But we can talk about today's show title. Fiat showers. Yes. Fiat showers. What's up with that? Let's take a look at fiat showers, shall we? Yes. <clears throat> so, <coughs> as I've been mentioning, at January 1st of this year, 2023, all the music in the U.S. from 1923 entered the public domain. A year earlier, all music up to 1922 entered the public domain in the U.S. due to new laws that were recently passed. However, the general public domain in the United States is, is on a little bit of a different track. So on January 1st, a few days ago, all works in the U.S. except for music from 1927 entered the public domain, right? And this is why I think, like, uh, I think the first Mickey Mouse cartoon... It's from 27, right? So, or is that next year? <coughs> when was, uh, what was the first Mickey Mouse cartoon? Well, the first one made was Plane Crazy, obviously, and, uh, but it wasn't the first one shown. That was, of course, Steamboat Willie. No, that was 1928, yeah. So, when was Steamboat Willie? That was also, uh, Yeah, 28. Okay, so next year, the Mickey Mouse stuff is going to start going in the public domain. Okay. Disney's going to have a conniption fit. They've been, they've been trying to extend the copyright so Mickey Mouse is never, never uh, public domain. Uh, Steamboat Willie will enter the public domain in 2024. Okay. All right. So they have another year of exclusive rights to the Mickey Mouse. And next year, it's very complicated, but in some way, shape, or form, some Mickey Mouse uh, situations will become public domain. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I started looking on the Internet Archive for like books and magazines and publications from 1927, which are now in the public domain, just to see if I could find something interesting as show art. And uh, I found this one. It is a it is a shower catalog from Fiat Metal Manufacturing Company. And the cover is the image you see. Uh, this is sort of a stylized image of a, of a waterfall in some sort of canyon. And it says Fiat Showers. And uh, what is it, like clouds up above? Really beautiful image. And this really struck me. And it's an interesting little publication from 1927. So it's now in the public domain. They're a U.S. company. Fiat Metal Manufacturing Company, I'm assuming completely separate from Fiat Automobile Company in Italy, right? Um, the main factory and sales office in Chicago, and they have a New York sales office on Park Avenue. And they have this whole thing. I read this earlier. It's really amazing. This, this whole, uh, the history of bathing. And they have an image showing, like, ancient kings and the old swimming hole, women bathing, uh, more modern people. 
This is from 27, and here's what it says. <coughs> Cleanliness and advanced mental, as well as physical development, go hand in hand. The bath played an important part in the golden eras of Grecian and Roman supremacy. Likewise, the lack of bathing played quite <coughs> as important a role during the dreaded and much-talked-of Dark Ages. See, this writing is in the public domain as well, right? Yes. In ancient times, when a king took a bath, it actually became a rite, R-I-T-E. Not like you had a right to take a bath. It was a ritual. In those times, kings were forced to allow their eager courtiers, or is that courtiers? <laughs> I don't use that term that much, uh, to play a part in all of their ceremonials. With so many persons performing a part of the work. Wait, <laughs> can we step back for a second? If I'm a king, I want to take a bath. Why can't I just take a freaking bath? Why do I have to get everyone involved? They don't explain that part. The hell? With so many persons performing a part of the work, the simple thing of taking a bath became a formidable undertaking. The result was kings did not take the bath, the time to bathe over often, and their subjects followed suit so that the custom of bathing was not general. You hear that a lot. People didn't really bathe a lot in the past. But if I'm the king, can I just say what I want, like do what I want? Why does it have to become this big? That's one rabbit hole we don't have to go down. The Greeks, in their, pheno in their phenomenal mental growth, as well as their far-famed physical beauty, were the first to make the custom of bathing a general one. Afterwards, the Romans followed suit, and the Roman baths and what they represented came to be one of the wonders of the world. I actually went to the Roman baths in... Um, Pompeii, <laughs> from thousands of years ago. It was like preserved under the lava for, for uh, millennia. An actual Roman bathhouse from thousands of years ago. It was pretty wild. <clears throat> Afterwards, the, uh, yeah. the historian Pliny declares that for 600 years, bathing was the Romans' only medicine. However, the Romans went to an extreme, and the public baths became a lazy man's paradise an evil rather than the basis of a wonderful custom. The Roman became an idler, a dawdler, and was it an easy victim for the conquerors from the north. I love this. This is very well written. Um, of, and, 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 a, and there was this psychic guy that I, I saw when I was, you know, like in my a teenager, told me that I used to live in a previous life. I was one of those uh, idlers, one of those lazy men, rich and idle in, uh, in Rome. He said, I was, I was a hedonist in Rome. I must have taken a lot of baths. Anyway, who knows if he was right or not. He was a psychic, but maybe, maybe the psychic information was not correct. No, because when I went to Rome in 2019, I felt I had been there before. Remember, remember I had that vision? <laughs> it was a kind of a cool vision I had in Rome. Um, I got more memories of past lives in Rome one of them, I was uh, I was involved in like this smuggling operation. It was like in the sewers or the underground rivers under the city, and I had all these barrels of something that was like involved in all these smuggling operations. And I was like sort of a, I guess sort of like a well-known kind of troublemaker or criminal or whatever. This was a vision I had, right? And then I additionally saw a vision 
that was of the moment, somehow there was this godlike being very deep under underneath Rome, one of those gods of drunkenness who was half conscious, half asleep, completely drunk. And because it was the first time I had returned to Rome in a long time, <clears throat> that sort of drunken god saw me. And it's like, oh, <laughs> you again. Because <laughs> of all the trouble I caused back a couple thousand years ago. <clears throat> that drunken god buried under the, under the ground. Doesn't, doesn't know if it's been a hundred years, a thousand years, whatever. No, noticed my uh, my aura or whatever. Oh, you again. And he seemed sort of amused. He was amused by my antics back then. Now listen, this could all be complete speculation. There, there, there's nothing, it could all be in my, vi- my vivid imagination. But I thought as visions go, it was kind of cool. <coughs> yeah. Anyway. Listen, it just brought that to mind. From that time on, in other words... From the time of the Romans down through the Dark Ages until very recent years, there was a whole galaxy of bugaboos with regard to the custom of bathing. (laughs) Galaxy of bugaboos, wow. That's quite a turn of phrase. It was in 1842 that Adam Thompson of Cincinnati installed the first American bathtub. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) That does not sound right. 1842? No one had a bathtub in America? Like, what? The hell? That does not make sense to me. Adam Thompson? I mean, I think everyone... He'd be like a household name if he had the first bathtub. I mean... It was made of mahogany-lined... What? It was made of mahogany, lined with lead. Gee, that sounds real healthy. And weighed a ton. He created quite a stir. Doctors protested that frequent bathing was unhealthful. Gee, you know, like these doctors all the time, they always turn out to be wrong later on, you know. Bathing is very unhealthy. Is it really, Doc? But as nothing adverse happened to Thompson, the custom spread rapidly, and by 1860, every first-class hotel in New York advertised from one to three public baths. What? Like, you had to share it? You didn't have it in your room? Since that time, there has been a rapid and consistent development in bathing fixtures. The tremendous increase in the popularity of bathing has created in America a billion-dollar plumbing industry and tremendous city water systems. Just as the porcelain porcelain enameled tub conquered the hand tub, so is the shower gaining in popularity over the tub. It is the shock principle against the soak idea of cleanliness. The shower cleanses the body with running water, always clean and fresh, while the tub method is to soak the dirt off the body. In addition, the shock method imparts a tonic effect. Physical weariness is dropped off like a cloak, and the body set vibrating with energy. It is truly the royal bath, for every user steps from the shower compartment feeling every inch a king. The fiat shower is the truly royal bath, built for the ever-ready use of His Majesty, the American citizen. I have to say, that copy, right, that text is remarkable. 
for just sort of like a, 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 a you know a product brochure. Wow, that's very well written. <clears throat> and it just goes on, and there's a lot more stuff in here. But um, wow. Anyway, <laughs> let's go to the cover. You know, and I and I just photoshopped, extended the size a little bit, put a little overnightscape in the upper right. But otherwise, that that's exactly what we have here. So obviously, the company is known as Fiat and uh, Showers, but just the the phrase Fiat Showers sounds <coughs> really strange, right? And showers as a word can mean several different things. Fiat, of course, it means. Um, something that's done by demand by like actually it's it's hard to put into words let me just find it here then i want to look up that bathtub guy so the etymology of uh of, of fiat is um <clears throat> let's see it's it's a noun from the 1630s it means an authoritative sanction from the Latin fiat, which means let it be done, fiat, let it be done, used in the opening of medieval Latin proclamations and commands. It's a third-person singular present subjunctive of fieri, be done, become, come into existence, from the Proto-Indo-European root buch, to be, to exist, to grow. Used as passive of facere, to make, to do, meaning a decree, command, order, is from 1750. The English word is also some is also sometimes in English the word also sometimes is a reference to fiat lux, let there be light in Genesis, I three. <laughs> fiat lux, let there be light. And it's amazing this this Proto Indo European word buch, b h e u e buch, meaning to be, to exist, to grow. Now, first of all, Proto-Indo-European, I think, is a, in linguistics, is a theoretical source language, right? But these are all the words that come from bu. Bauhaus, bee, beam, bore, bondage, boodle, boom, bore, booth, bound, bower, bowery, build, bumpkin, busk, bustle, buyer, bylaw, eistedfod, euphus, fiat, there you go, forebear, future, husband, imp, all these words are based on totally different words. Monophysite, neighbor. <laughs> neighbor and fiat are from the same word. Neophyte, phyletic, phylo, phylum, phylogeny, physic, physico, physics, like physics fill. Physio, physique, phyte, phyto, and symphysis. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, anyway, so it means a decree. Like, you know, fiat currency. Why is this money? Is, 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 is it backed by gold or silver? No, it's money because we say it's money. It's fiat currency. There you go. So obviously fiat is just the name of the company here, but fiat showers. It almost sounds like showers, like which might mean rain. That comes from above by fiat. Uh, showers of taking showers. Or that same word can be showers, those that show. Fiat showers. And in that, I think it uh, comes back to, doubles back to, um, <coughs> what's the phrase I'm looking for there? Doubles back? There's another phrase. Right? A fiat shower 
would be like a virtual reality system. It's it's showing you things. It's creating things to show you by fiat. It's just it the that this world exists because we say it exists. It's a fiat shower. You know, I may be reading a bit too much into that, but I love that image, fiat showers. So public domain. It's in the public domain now. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, my uh, typesetting. I I. I was trying to think what font to use. Um, and for some reason, I really thought compact italic would be a good font. It's totally not from 1927, but it's, uh, it kind of works there. I like it. Anyway, that's the whole story with that. Now, let's look up this guy, the, sh- the guy who had the first bathtub in America. Adam Thompson, a very, very generic name. Mm-hmm. <coughs> was he the son of someone named Tomp? Yes, my father's name was Tomp. Mm-hmm. Bathtub. Let's see. Bathtub hoax. Now, wait a minute. This sounds like a hoax. The biggest hoax. Okay, listen. The bathtub hoax. Okay. Hold on, hold on. I I knew something sounded fishy from that story. There's a ton of references to the bathtub hoax here. Okay, let's find it here. How a newspaper hoax became the history of the bathtub. Illustration of Thompson's Bathtub, published in Chronicle Telegram, November 18th, 1935. What? I mean, the the other thing's from 27. American Bathtubs. In December 1842, Adam Thompson installed in his Cincinnati house a bathtub made like one he had seen in England. For defying the then-current taboo against winter bathing, he was severely scored by doctors, politicians, and the public on the grounds that bathtubs were a menace to public health. What's wrong with these people? Trying to find like a succinct... uh... The bathtub hoax was a famous hoax perpetrated by the American journalist H.L. Mencken involving the publication of a fictitious history of the bathtub. On December 28, 1917, an article titled A Neglected Anniversary by H.L. Mencken was published in the New York Evening Mail. Mencken claimed that the actual anniversary of the first American bathtub, the alleged 75th, had gone unnoticed the previous week. This was supposedly in spite of the fact that the Public Health Service from, of Washington, D.C. had prepared for celebrations several months prior, which were ultimately quashed by the intervening enactment of prohibition in that city. The article claimed that the bathtub had been invented by Lord John Russell of England in 1828, that Cincinnatian Adam Thompson became acquainted with it during business trips there in the 1830s. Thompson allegedly went back to Cincinnati and took the first bath in the United States on December 20, 1842. The invention purportedly aroused great controversy in Cincinnati, with detractors claiming that its expensive nature was undemocratic and local doctors claiming it was dangerous. This debate was said to have spread across the nation, with an ordinance banning bathing between November and March, supposedly narrowing, f- narrowly failing in Philadelphia, 
and a similar ordinance allegedly being effective in Boston between 1845 and 1862. After Brooklynite... This is a very complex hoax. What the hell? <laughs> After Brooklynite John F. Simpson was claimed to have invented the zinc tub in 1847, the price of bathtubs was said to have plummeted, and much of the criticism against them was said to have abated. Around the same time, Oliver, Winder, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. was claimed to have campaigned for the bathtub against remaining medical opposition in Boston. The American Medical Association supposedly granted sanction to the practice in 1850, followed by practitioners of homeopathy in 1853. Homeopathy is all in the topic. Um, <clears throat> according to the article, then-Vice President Millard Fillmore visited the Thompson bathtub in March 1850, and having bathed in it, became a proponent of bathtubs. Upon his accession to the presidency in July of that year, Fillmore was said to have ordered the construction of a bathtub in the White House, which alleged, with which allegedly refueled the controversy of providing the president with indulgences not enjoyed by George Washington or Thomas Jefferson. Nevertheless, the effect of the bathtub's installation was said to have obliterated any remaining opposition, such that it was said that every hotel in New York had a bathtub by 1860. Fillmore's bathtub was said to have remained in operation until the first administration of Grover Cleveland, when it was supposedly replaced by a bathtub that was still in operation at the time of the article's publication. I wonder if Millard Fillmore knew that years later there would be a, a cartoon duck named after him called Mallard Fillmore. I don't know if he knew that. So what are they saying? This whole thing was fake? Every single bit of it? Mangan grew concerned of people taking his article seriously, comparing it in acceptance to the Norman Conquest. In 1949, Mangan wrote, The success of this idle hoax done in time of war, when more serious writing was impossible, vastly astonished me. It was taken gravely by a great many other newspapers and presently made its way into medical literature and into standard reference books. It had, of course, no truth in it whatsoever. And I more than once confessed publicly that it was only a jocosity. Wow. A jocosity. That's a great name for a joke, a jocosity. Scarcely a month goes by that I did not find the substance of it reprinted, not as foolishness, but as fact, and not only in newspapers, but in official documents and other works of the highest pretensions. Fillmore's birthplace of Moravia, New York, has annual Fillmore Days where people race in modified bathtubs. After a 20-year hiatus, the Fillmore Days were revived in 2019. So what is the history of the bathtub? Oh my god, I never knew this! The bathtub hoax is an early example of fake news. People would fall for anything back then! Remember the War of the Worlds that we were talking about recently? They just believe anything they read. Jeez. Wow. See, I, I could tell. See, even this catalog was like re retelling the story. It was completely fake. But look, the top of the line shower you can get from Fiat is uh, the Admiral. The Admiral is a shower bath compartment designed for those who require the ultimate in bathing facilities. All right? Every requisite and, and refinement 
that could be desired is embodied in this fixture. The dazzling white porcelain walls of the compartment, the hand-polished marble-inlaid surface of the receptor, the door frame finished to harmonize with the color decoration of the bathroom gives an air of ultra-completeness. The Fiat Admiral is the only shower compartment made having porcelain enameled walls. Wow. And then it goes down like there's the Ensign, the Marine, the Nautilus, and it just goes down from there. <clears throat> people were very, I guess people were, I mean, I don't know. So were people against bathing at all or was that whole story fake or what is the history of it? I would continue looking into it, but I think my attention span of this bathtub situation is really quite past, quite past indeed. Anyway, now let's move on to cele celebrity deaths. And uh, on the last episode, I was talking about the Pope Benedict and uh, Barbara Walters both died. And I'm like, these usually come in threes. Indeed, there was a third. Pele, the legendary soccer player from Brazil, died uh, around the same time, I think December 29th, at age 82. Pele was huge, of course. They had Pele soccer on the Atari. Maybe we should play some Pele soccer on Atari just in honor of Pele. Yeah. And I remember there was a Pele store in Times Square I went to a few years back. Um, let's see if I can bring that up. I have MAME with every video game ever, so... Let's see. Let's see if it's a good game. Atari. Pele. This is not to be confused with Boys for Pele. That's a great album by uh, Tori Amos. Pele. Why, why, why am I not seeing Pele here? Pele soccer. The hell? This makes no sense. It, it was a major Atari cartridge. Is it under is it under soccer or? Hmm. I thought this would be an easy one to find. <laughs> okay, maybe it's under soccer. Uh, is this it? I, I really don't know. I th maybe, they, maybe they just renamed soccer into Pele soccer. Let's see. <clears throat> load come on jeez no this is not it I don't think this is it this is a later soccer game right All right. I thought it would be the easiest thing in the world to get Pele soccer but I guess we'll just have to go to a, a video of it This is the one. I don't know if I had this one. Yeah, it's a very rudimentary game because it was back back in the day, you know. Anyway, there's Pele. Let me let me look at that cover, Pele Soccer. I think there was a commercial he was on too. 
Oh, it was originally called Championship Soccer. That may be what I'm missing. Maybe that's the game I could play. Championship Soccer. Yep, there it is. Yay, I can play it now. See, we need the information. playing. Or is this a two-player only game? Uh, it may have been. Alright, it's not too much fun. Anyway. test drive Atari Night Driver. This game really cracks me up. And the great Pele himself tested Pele's championship soccer. What a gig, it beats me a game. At Atari, we take our games seriously, so you have more fun. How'd you do, Kareem? Glad I won't face Atari in the playoffs. No other video game company stacks up to Atari. Nice, he was there. they were all there together filming a commercial for Atari. Oh, this is uh, this is it's a video about the topic. I just I just want to see the commercial. I don't want to see hear someone talking about the commercial. Um, the other celebrity death is uh, very sad. Uh, Buster is dead at seventy two. Buster, not Buster Poindexter, or Buster Keaton. Well, I'm sure Buster Keaton's already dead, but um, Buster from Dave and Buster's, the arcade chain that's still around and still going strong. Dave and Buster's, they're everywhere. There's a new one at at the Willowbrook Mall. The one on uh, Times Square is still there. This one I went to at Woodbridge Mall recently. Right? What happened to Buster? He de He's dead at age 72. James Buster Corley of Dave & Buster says died by suicide at 72. Corley, or the Buster of restaurant and entertainment chain Dave & Buster's, was found with an apparently self-inflicted gunshot wound on Monday. He died later at a hospital. Let me uh, correlate this. I want to make sure this is not a hoax. Yeah, it's, it shows up in a bunch of... Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Dave and Buster said of Corley, his pioneering spirit and steadfast belief that everybody is somebody and set the foundation for bringing food and games to millions of Dave and Buster's guests over the past 40 years. Corvo said in 2015 at the age of 63. What? Corley's daughter, Kate Corley, gave this statement to CNN. Buster Corley had a stroke four months ago that caused severe damage to the communication and personality part of his brain. The family asks for privacy during this time. Before they created Dave & Buster's, Corley owned a restaurant near Corvo's establishment for entertainment and games and then teamed up to create the first Dave & Buster's in Dallas in 1982. According to the company, a coin toss determined the order of their names. I'm missing something here because the cor what is Corvo? Is, is is that uh, Dave? I think we got to find a better article. That article kind of sucked. <clears throat> uh, 
Um, Buster's passion for hospitality, his demand for excellence, and the deep care he had for his team members were unparalleled. Our hearts go out to his family at this difficult time, and while we will miss his wise counsel and his easy laugh, the legacy he and Dave built endures. Hmm. David Corvo, okay. In the late 70s, David Corvo operated an outrageous place for entertainment and games. So one guy had a restaurant, one guy had like an arcade. After noticing that customers would frequent both places, the entrepreneurs teamed up to create the first Dave and Busters in Dallas, combining arcade games and food. Uh, weren't they doing that at like uh, Chuck E. Cheese and stuff before the? They sold the business in 2007 to a private equity firm, so they weren't even involved in that business anymore. No. All right. Anyway, sad story. Buster is dead. Now every time I go to Devin Buster's, I'm like, you know the guy Buster? He's dead. That'd be kind of a drag. I'll still go occasionally, though. I mean, it's not really worth going there, but if it's there, you might just might as well walk in. Like when I went to Woodbridge Mall... <clears throat> I just I, I stepped in for about five minutes and walked around a little bit and I'm like, wow, this Dave and Buster's great. Goodbye. <laughs> and uh, stepping back to the, today's show title, uh, Fiat Showers. Um, I just want to mention that I, I did start off the year with a shower-related show art and title back in 2017, the Overnightscape 1352 Showerhead, January 4th, uh, 2017. So. I think it's good to start off the year with a shower. Wash away the old, in with the new. Whatever 2023 has in store for us. Or whatever we have in store for 2023. You can flip it around. One way or the other. Oh, look. Yeah, they finally picked up the uh, recycling, so let me... Uh, what's this? A package from Los Angeles. Let me bring this container in here. Top-notch moving. Is, oh, this, the moving truck is back. Okay. What the hell? One little piece of paper got stuck in the bottom of the bin. Top-notch is back. See, I, I definitely am, like... Now I'm starting to crave a cigar a little bit. Like, uh, I think it's more out of habit than a physical addiction to nicotine, but I am going to continue. I'm going to go back to cigars as soon as February comes, but I want to prove to myself that I'm not addicted. That I'm not an addict. I'm not a nicotine addict, damn it. I never smoke cigarettes, just uh, cigars and pipes. Maybe we should go back to pipes. It's a lot of work. It's a hefty investment of time and energy and money. But it is uh, an incredible hobby to if, to if you get into it. Anyway. Movers are uh, getting more stuff. What's going on? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. So this is 2023... 
Yeah. I mean, I think that there's some... Like, it was interesting because I, when I watched the, the trailers of the movie, when I went to see um, Babylon last week, there was something about the trailers that sort of felt like there was a there was a like a, like a uh, sort of a cultural richness come uh, approaching something like you know how it describes sort of the richness of culture in the seventies. Um, <clears throat> but it feels like it will not be uh, that it would be sort of a illusory richness, right? Is that is that the right way of saying it? That it would not be like a real uh, grounded with a foundation, but it would just be sort of a temporary richness. Does it make any sense? <laughs> I don't know. What am I? Again, I'm talking about super vague things, you know? Illusory richness. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, it's hard to say. It just sort of feels like not to take – let's just put it this way. This is my thinking, that not to take stuff that happens in 2023 all that seriously, one way or the other, and just stay on track. That's how I'm planning to do it, and uh, yeah. But my speculation is that something deep down – in the structure of how things work in this world has changed like kind of permanently with 20 as 2023 came about but that is just pure whim- whimsy basically just my own internal like musings but which means that the kind of rut we've been in societally could possibly we could possibly move past it but not anytime soon But re- but remember, here and now, we have <coughs> we are free from knowledge of other worlds existing, right? As I've talked about so much, the other worlds could be so many different types of things, other parallel worlds or <coughs> other planets you can go to through space. Or meta worlds, like if this is a computer simulation, what, who or what are we in that meta world, right? But right now, at least when it comes to general society and, uh, you know, the, myself and people around me, like we don't know. We, we, I speculate all the time about this, but I don't know. And I think that if I had to guess, I would say that there's probably – a very good chance that there are other worlds and uh, that to know about them changes things here quite a bit. Especially because in theory, those other worlds are much better than this world, right? And you'd want to go there and live there and not be here anymore. You know, talk about moving. Everyone's going to want to move off this planet. Stop the world. I want to get off. See, Anthony Newley was right. (laughs) Anyway, but if we don't know, we just have to make do here, right, with what we have going on here. And by having to deal with this, all the little intricacies and pleasures and all the nooks and crannies of dealing with this kind of rotten situation on planet Earth, that's the stuff that's 
that I would say is valuable, something you can't get anywhere else. Theoretically speaking, of course, yes. But it does feel like that topic of holding back the information is getting, like, this, again, purely just on a vision level. It feels like, to me, that the uh, holding back of the information has become more and more difficult, right? And they did kind of let a little bit of information out last year. No, two years ago now, right? Or was it last year? The admission of the U.S. government about the flying saucers. They don't call them UFOs anymore. What do they call them? They have some jerky name for them. UFPs or something. UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. No, it's a UFO, damn it. Just come on. I know then they're not all they're not objects, they're phenomena. Get out of here, UFO. That that story where they talked about we're seeing these flying machines constantly. They're moving around in ways that no known human technology could possibly produce. So we don't know what they are. Okay, maybe they're the Russians or the Chinese, they have this incredible technology. Maybe, maybe it's all a big hoax. But it does imply uh, other worlds, even if it's just another race of beings living under the earth or something like that. You know, that have these tech, that has this technology, or I mean, it could be a, uh, you know, another an offshoot race of you know that uh, another group of people that live separately under the ground or whatever and have this advanced technology. But that is like another world. The world they live in is like another world. Right? Living with this advanced technology. That was kind of the uh, the stories of, there's a few stories of people going either the North Pole or the South Pole and, and coming to some sort of massive city with advanced technology and human-like beings living there. Right? <laughs> That's a story you hear sometimes. They think it's in the hollow earth, but I would just think it's another parallel earth, right? All of these conspiracy theories from flat earth to hollow earth and the mainstream view of earth and space all encourage people to think very three-dimensionally. And I don't think other worlds are in our three-dimensional volume. They're outside that volume in higher dimensional spaces, but it's not as exotic as it sounds. I just find it interesting that it almost seems like they're trying to steer everyone away from thinking about higher dimensional geometries, overlapping 3D volumes, etc. But ultimately, I guess there are benefits to not knowing, and then there's... Obviously, I feel very like... Uh, what would you say... I feel very curious about it. I'd like to know the answer, but it changes everything once we know the answer, right? Mm -hmm. Let me see. Sorry, I just got something on my phone. I don't know what it is. There's a million notifications. I don't know which one that was that just dinged. Anyways, with that, I'd like to say thank you for patching in 
to this episode this episode of the Overnightscape. I'm your host Frank Edward Nora here in Nutley, New Jersey in the United States of America. Earth, Milky Way Galaxy, solar system, Milky Way Galaxy. <coughs> Anyways, we're here in the Overnightscape Underground, also known as the Onsug, a radio station inside a book. Go to onsug.com for all your onsug needs. O N S U G.com. It's a massive archive, and we're releasing new shows all the time. You find all the latest shows there at onsug.com, including uh, access on the sidebar there to the archive, currently called Onsug Radio. Over 10,000, actually nearly 11,000 tracks, over 13,000 hours, or a year and a half of audio, all preserved. It's a non commercial project. It's all free all the time. It's all preserved, and we have a real eye on the future, listeners in the near and far future, and hopefully other dimensions as well. There's no reason people can't listen to this in other dimensions. Okay? Anyone listening in other dimensions? I know you're not allowed to send, let me know. I understand that. Or are you? I don't know. <coughs> no, they're not allowed. They can listen, but they can't write back. Long-time listener, first-time caller from another dimension. No, it can't happen. Yeah, so uh, check out the archive, and you can also buy the book. The current print edition of the book is from 2021. The print edition is static. It's as it was in 2021, though I, every month I update the PDF uh, version of the book, which is much longer, like three or 4,000 pages, and recently has undergone some major revisions. So you can download the print edition as a PDF for free or the latest edition with all the current sh- uh, shows. So it lists... All the shows and all the show notes and everything in one in one document. And I'm working hard on the next edition, and hopefully this summer it'll come out. Um, <clears throat> we have a unique style, as you can tell, the show I've been doing. I was very involved in the podcast scene, you know, in the early days of 2005, 6, 7. I mean, I started podcasting in 2004, one of the first podcasters, uh, but then podcasting kind of went on a lull around 2008, 2009, and didn't really come back till about 2012. And since that came back, I really have not really been active, like in the podcast meetups or podcast gatherings or anything. So we're kind of on our own track and our own little reality here. Um, but we're constantly building up this massive archive. And to explore the Onsug, right, the Overnightscape Underground, can be a years-long process. It really is a lifetime of listening pleasure, right? We are like your radio pals. We'll always be here for you. This archive that just keeps growing is such a massive document of our experiences in the 20th century, in the early 21st century. And uh, I do hope all of you listening in the far future are enjoying it. I, I, I imagine you are. Thanks for listening. And and remember, wherever and whenever you are, oh, there's the guy. He's still here. He didn't move yet. Um, <clears throat> you can always help out with the Overnight Escape Underground and uh, help promote it, help preserve it. As we are not a commercial project, right, we just have – it's basically the book and a bunch of files that needs to move forward endlessly to reach audiences in ever further future times. And perhaps from that future perspective, someone's listening 
maybe real far in the future. How about the year one million? <laughs> Is that possible? That's a long time from now. For those of you in the year one million, perk up your ears or prick up your ears. What's, what's the right term? Oh, look, a beagle. Say beagle walking down the street. Uh, get ready for an audio vacation from your futuristic paradise slash hell known as the other side. Great little talker, isn't he? He's pretty, too. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Us Terrigan smokers would rather fight than switch. Mm-hmm. Us Terrigan smokers would rather fight than switch. <laughs> what gives Terrigan the taste worth fighting for? Why do you notice so many more unswitchables every week? Here's why. Terrigan has a white outer tip and an intersection of charcoal. Together... They actually improve the flavor of Tarryton's fine tobaccos. Deliver the taste that makes Tarryton smokers so aggressively loyal. So get the charcoal tip with the taste worth fighting for. Join the unswitchables. Smoke Tarryton. As Tarryton smokers would rather fight than switch. Tarryton from the American Tobacco Company. Extra, extra, honest ad, soft and imitated, never duplicated, world famous bargain house, says it again. Inflation, recession, hard times, not at Honest Ed's. These bargains are until store closing January 19th. One and a half liter Corningware covered saucepan at Ed's unbelievable price of $8.88. Eight ounce jar of Nescafe rich blend instant coffee only at Ed's for just $4.99. Men's pile line three quarter length car coats in small, medium, and large at Ed's just ten eighty eight. Alpha number eight meat grinder for you at Ed's for only nine ninety nine. Booty style casuals by Chow for ladies and teens sizes five to ten only twelve eighty eight a pair. One location only. Four big floors of bargains to save you money. Honest Ed is a nightmare. But my bargains are a dream.
think you are? Beans is the name. One of the Boston beans.
past their defenses, didn't you? What are you doing? Well, you need a spotter. What? Why, here, oh, over here, over here. See, I told you we could beat them. Together we rule the universe. <laughs> oh, get the blue one, blue one. Get the pink one, the big dreaded pink one with the yellow squiggly tail. And there come the two pyramids. Ah. Quick, what's your name? What's your name? Quick. Janet, Janet. Oh, I'm Jeff, I'm Jeff. Over here, get this one, get this one. Over here, over here. Oh, what's your phone number? Five, five, five. Three, seven, one, eight. <laughs> <laughs> bikes blocking the doorway or they will be towed and crushed. Well, if it isn't the gruesome twosome. Uh, Leslie. Leslie, I want you to meet these I guys. know these guys. I work with them. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Scoring any. Ooh, it all depends. Mm -hmm. So, Alex, you out of your cage for the evening? Well, sort of. It's my first night of freedom. Come on, let's celebrate. You can buy me a soda. You got it. Yeah, 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 there we go, ready, hit it! The Invincible Warrior game is out of order. No caffeine, coke with Nutrisweet lemon, please. Give me a multi-blaster, shot of Sprite, Tab, Fruit Punch, Root Beer, Coca-Cola. There you go. Oh. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Cal in the Morning will be broadcasting live from Westworld this Saturday. Fluffy. God, it feels good to relax after all the hassles I've been going through. What, with Al? Yeah. And with my folks. Everybody keeps telling me what a great opportunity this is for me to do something with myself. Big deal. It's great money. Is that all that's important to you? Of course not, but it's better than starving. <laughs> Who said anything about starving? Living. Driving places, doing stuff with my friends, good food and drink. Sean, but none of that's free. Leslie, something's got to be simple. There isn't. Sean, growing up is, is hard. I know, I've been through it. I wanted my freedom, too. I mean, I thought I was a big deal and I didn't need anybody. So I move out of my mother's house and get my own place. And nobody told me about... Uh, the phone bill, the electric bill, the rent, car payments. I mean, some freedom. 
You got the cutest little nose. Sean, you haven't been listening to a word I said. Well, we did it. You're kidding. Right here in the arcade? Without birth control? <laughs> no, you moron. We scored 20,000 points on Xavier. I'm a old blue commander. Big deal. The top score is 40,000. So, what's the highest score you ever made? 30,000. I'm an admiral in charge of the fleet. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Well, beam me at Scott. <laughs> This is Showtime's month-long July celebration. Here's what's coming next. In this bewildering world of evangelists and charlatans, Brother Marty Feldman simply wants us to say, in God we trust, on Showtime. That sounds wonderful. I'm leaving you. Is this some kind of job? When this marriage falls apart, something remarkable happens. Kate. I'm not that late, but I'm only 20 minutes. All the other mothers were there before you. For the first time, a father discovers the pains. Where's your emergency room? And the joys of being a parent. But these joys may be short-lived. I want my son. It can't happen. I'd like to know what law is it that says that a woman is a better parent simply by virtue of her sex. Oscar winners Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep star with Justin Henry in the five-time Academy Award-winning drama. Kramer versus Kramer. I'm Bill Harris, and I have three and a half minutes of fascinating history for you, courtesy of an artist and a legend who helped make history here in Hollywood. It's a town of moving pictures, yes, but still photographs make them sell, and it's as a still photographer that he made his mark. It was the beginning of the Depression when he found work as the portrait photographer for Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Studios, and at MGM, Ted Allen shot the stars. His first assignment was a Tarzan film with Johnny Weissmuller. In true Hollywood fashion, their ears were phony. They were Indian elephants made over to look like Africans. Ted auditioned with two others to get the job shooting the legendary Gene Harlow. He knew she didn't wear undergarments when posing and could change in a flash. So he planned to be immediately ready for the new shots. And he was. And he got the job. He said his job was to take ordinary people the studio made into stars and make them look glamorous. Alan didn't think Jimmy Stewart would become a star, for instance, but thank heavens, he took the pictures anyway. Robert Taylor asked if he should have a bump on his nose surgically removed. Alan told him, no, if you do, you'll be prettier than most of your leading ladies, including, presumably, his wife, Barbara Stanwyck. Twenty-five years after this shot was taken, Cary Grant had Ted Allen fired four times from the film Houseboat, reportedly because the photographer was always interrupting Cary Grant in private moments with Sophia Loren. What about Clark Gable's large ears? I never bothered pasting them down. I just threw them into shadows, said Alan, who added Clark Gable was a total pro. He later grew long hair, which covered a multitude of errors and ears. Screen legend Norma Shear owned half the stock at MGM and was married to MGM's boy wonder, Irving Thalberg. It was important to please her. Shear posed in a mirror and wouldn't look at the camera. Alan shaved part of the mirror's back and shot through it. The Marx Brothers, he tells me, were almost impossible to keep still, and Groucho got impatient and went home, abandoning an interview party. The brothers dressed Alan up as Groucho, and he did a national interview with a totally unsuspecting reporter. How important was retouching to these great studio portraits? Look at this original shot of John Barrymore before the expert's touch was added. And then we see the great profile, greatly pleased, studying those finished portraits of himself. Alan shot William Powell and Asta as the original Thin Man, and almost half a century later, Francis Coppola found him. 
Will you do the same for Frederick Forrest, who stars this year in Hammett, about thin man author Dashiell Hammett? Well, Alan brought the very same camera and created the very same mystique all over again. He turned it into an instant classic in 1980s. Ted Allen moved to Selznick, to CBS, to independent production. He shot Streisand in Funny Girl and became a friend of Frank Sinatra. In fact, right now he's doing a book on Sinatra. He's been abroad twice this year with his wife of 53 years, once to London, where these signed portraits sell for 300 pounds apiece. After 50 years of creating, Ted Allen is as excited about his upcoming second great-grandchild as he is about his next portrait sitting. He's earned and deserves them both. I'm Bill Harris, grateful to Ted Allen for sharing some of his Hollywood with me and with you. We will talk again. A tragic accident. Get back! A mind tormented. I'd be scared if I were you. You never know what you can do. The unconscious is capable of anything. Don't be afraid of the pain. You're trying to kill me, aren't you? And what his subconscious desires, the hand delivers. There's no hand. Michael Caine stars in The Hand. Critics' Choice presents a moving tale of old friends reuniting and coming apart. A story of friends supporting. I'm so glad you're here. It's okay, honey. It's okay. I wanted to talk to you about it before you heard it from Jack. And competing. A tale of friends facing 30. I think it's freaking him out. JT. While holding on to 20, John Sayles' beautiful tale of youth and maturity, the return of the Secaucus 7. You know, the California way of life can be downright confounding to a grassroots Midwesterner. So here then are some of the things which transplanted Chicagoans find most appealing and appalling about life in Hollywood. a space suspended in fantasy and unmarked time. When the mindset of the city by the lake meets the coastal dynasty of freeways, neons, and endless July, sometimes you can never go back to December. The weather? It was cold! <laughs> It was way too cold. I miss the snow. Oh, you do? Oh, yes. You miss the snow? I don't miss it. One day here, it was 150 degrees warmer than in Chicago. <laughs> I called my parents just to tell them that. <laughs> well, that was good of you. When your wind chill was 80 below or so? <laughs> yes. And it was 70 here. It was terrific. Seems it
it's the most boring climate out here imaginable. It lulls you to sleep. This is great. You don't need boots. You don't need fur coats. This is, uh, that's left from Chicago, John. Oh, and in fact, I get to wear it about three days out here a year legitimately. And the rest of the time, it's just because I want to be a Hollywood person who walks around in a fur coat. But that's a Chicago coat. Leaving the studio at night, when the wind chill factor evidently was enough to promote instant death, and walking into the parking lot, and it would be very dark, and it looked like there were fireflies, because there'd be a hundred cigarette lighters lit as people were heating their keys, so the key could get warm enough to thaw the ice around the lock. And you just look in this parking lot and see little flares going over and people would kind of call to each other. Every winter, somewhere along the line, I would somehow park my car um, and somehow the, it would snow or rain or something, freeze over and my car would be locked in the ice for two months. And I had radio headsets for earmuffs and I was listening to Wally Phillips and I was running along and Wally said, he was giving temperatures, and he said that uh, at the lakefront right now, it's 28 below zero wind chill. And here I am running, and I thought, I'm going to die. <laughs> I don't know how I got out this far, but i got to get back home now. I'm sorry, Chicago, I do love you, but your weather stinks. Maybe that's true, but there is something to be said for not being able to see the air you breathe. Driving into the Burbank Studios here every day, coming from uh, Beverly Hills and Bel Air into the valley, every morning I see this enormous brown cloud, this layer that seems to be a, a belt that encircles the entire valley. What about the Midwest notion of being able to keep your feet firmly planted on solid ground? As soon as I realize it's an earthquake and there are certain sounds that cue you immediately, there's no way to uh, mistake it for anything else, I get sort of excited and want to, I'll run to the window to see if I can see trees or buildings shaking, or uh, if I'm in here, I want to see if, if there's any way to, to tell that the, uh, it's, it's more observation rather than fear. But people tell me if you live through a big one, all you are is afraid. Brody, Brody to the max, I'm sure. It's like really nauseating, like bark. Out, gag me with a spoon. Valley girl, she's a valley girl. Oh my god! Valley girl. You find yourself saying things here that you didn't say before? Oh, you mean like take a meeting? Sure, I try to avoid that, but these people out here do talk funny. You know what the valley is? Oh my god! <laughs> I have a valley girl, she's four years old. Valley girl, she's a valley girl. And she says things like, for sure, for sure, oh my gosh, and things like that. Not because people say it, but because Moon Zappa's record said it, and now everybody's saying it because Moon Zappa's record said it. Like, oh my god! Valley girl! Like, totally! And what about the clothes? A little more casual than in Chicago, out here. It took me uh, maybe ten minutes to get into it. When's right. the last time you wore a tie? Um... You know, I don't think I have since I've been here. The spend 
more than you spent in two years on clothes for one dress. Because you know you gotta wear it on the Carson show and you gotta wear it at the next CBS party. your air-conditioned house, get into an air-conditioned car, and, and drive to work to an air-conditioned office. You seldom walk on the streets here. Then you walked all over Chicago, didn't yes. you? Yes. When I first came here, I was arrested for walking on the street. Take me back to Chicago. When all is said and done, what transplanted Chicagoans miss most about the Windy City is... That pizza I miss. Pizzeria Uno and Due, I have that flown in. Right now, I would pay significant money to, uh, to eat some more. There's no good junk food. You cannot get a good hot dog or a good pizza out here. I think it's better in Chicago. I do. Isn't that strange? I, I don't know why. I, maybe, you see, the terrible weather puts people into restaurants, and they work harder in there. All the California I miss the city life. You miss the hot dogs and the pizza. That's right. You miss being able to get in a cab. Right. You miss walking. Right. Talk about going back to Chicago for Christmas and you want to have fun. I mean, do you, I want to go to Marshall Field. That's what I want to do. When I go back to Chicago, I want to walk up and down State Street and I want to see Marshall Field. I want to go, well, the water tower is not, you know, traditional, but I'd like to see that. I want to go up down Michigan Avenue. I want to go to Lincoln Park. I want to go to the farm in the zoo. What is it you were just saying? I'm dying to get back to Chicago. I haven't been back there since I left, which is five years ago. Had it not been for me wanting to go into this for a living, I would still be living in that city. Gee, wouldn't it be terrific to go back and, and run a station in Chicago? A lot of it had to do with the people who were watching. They really made the show, kept me on my toes, and told me where I was going right and where I was going wrong. So would you all move out here? please so you can tell me what I'm doing wrong I still have and always will have a Chicago mentality now I leave that to you and your viewers to figure out what that means I've got to come back I'm almost out of hot dogs Jen here we go thank you Chicago I enjoy myself in Hollywood, but it's good to be back in Chicago. Well, John, we wouldn't know what to do without you. But, you know, it rings a little phony. These people all say how much they love us, and yet they all left us. It's I the, can't accept it's, that. It's the lure of the job and the dollar. Our thanks to Marsha Jordan for producing that series and Howard Malice for editing it. And we thank them, too.